Hello there, Peter Parker. This is Peter Parker. Hey, Peter Parker. This is Peter Parker. Wait a minute. You're Peter Parker? How can you be Peter Parker if I'm Peter Parker? Wait a minute. That picture with two Spider-Mans pointing at each other? Yes. So, and why why are we called Peter Parker this week, Inyash? Because we both saw the new Spider-Man recently, and there is more than one Peter Parker in that one, because it's a multiverse kind of thing, and uh, we both liked it enough that we decided to go with Peter Parker for our names. I just wanted to hear you say it unprompted, that we liked it enough, he said. So, yes. Inyash really liked a Marvel movie, and I agree. I, I think is a candidate for the best one. I don't really do, like, best or best of, you know, favorite lists in my head for stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but holy shit, it was amazing. It was really good. How many of the previous ones had you seen? All of them. Oh, all of them with all like going all the way back to the 1999 or 2000s one or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I, uh, oh, I yeah. missed the ones. I missed the Garfield ones in the middle there, but, uh, oh, man, there was, there was one beat that hit really, really well having seen that. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to cut this from the air. I mean, I thought it was a really good movie, but also probably the more of the previous spider-man you've seen the better it will be because it draws heavily on the nostalgia bank and it does so incredibly well but if you haven't seen any of the previous spider-man it probably won't be nearly as good for you yeah what's fun is like it's not just like pure nostalgia like hey look we got one of these people too uh right which those can be a lot of fun like i thought it was just going to be cameos you know i wasn't too in the loop on what it was going to be about Mm -hmm. um I knew it was multiversey stuff, which even I managed not to avoid, which is why I didn't mind putting it in the this episode. I mean, yeah, it is even on its own a good movie, but the more you've seen before, I think the more good it gets dialed up. Yeah, it, it doesn't and you just, also get some in jokes and shit. Totally. And it doesn't just like bring in the characters like it actually does stuff with them that I had no idea that they were going to even attempt to do. It was amazing. So but this isn't the Spider-Man no way home podcast yet although it might be because you're going on vacation soon so that's uh, true true you yep. might have to fill the airtime while you're out i was really hoping that we'd be able to like finish the current book that we're in and then i was looking ahead how many chapters there are and i was like oh no we're we're not going to get it done before vacation so i'm just gonna have to leave you guys hanging not at the end of a book divider line try not to screw me too hard Oh, I'll, I'll do my best not to screw you too hard. I, right. I already made sure you are not getting the hardest screw possible. So I appreciate uh, that. That's yes. good enough. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Before we get started, oh, we should say what we're doing. This is our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where you and I sit down and talk about Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle. Yes, it is a fantastic web serial. You can read it all online for free, and you can support Alexander Wales at his Patreon. You can also support us at our Patreon, because we also will take your money, and we will even give 15% of it back to Alexander Wales as well, because we appreciate that he has given us this material to do a podcast with. A um, gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. Uh, but with that said, shall we jump in? Yeah, I had one unorganized thoughts. Uh, we've got a section in our meta notes section called Un- unorganized thoughts. Yes. So I went to go find the conversation so I could cite the person and it says deleted user. Mm. And so I'm hoping they didn't leave over this conversation. Um, I would certainly feel bad. I don't, I don't feel like I came back too hard, but they, uh, anyway, um, they pointed out that, I don't know, a few weeks ago I'd made some off the cuff remarks about COVID boosters that were irresponsibly uninformed and they were right. I was wrong. Uh, I've done more homework since then. Uh, you know, the, the conversation that made it to air was 
not initially going to be on the episode. So I didn't like feel bad making uninformed opinionated statements. Um, but no, I, you know, I just needed to, to call out that they're right. And if the, my calendars, like, I I I guess I'm a little busy, but like somehow time just flows all together. It's already the end of December and I meant to get a shot like three weeks ago. And I keep like, I went to go look last week and the two nearest Safeways to me wouldn't let me like book one. Like they were full up apparently until like January something, Mm -hmm. which struck me as unlikely because like I go to the pharmacy to get drugs all the time and there's never like a line of people waiting to get shots. Do you have a Costco card? Uh, I don't know if I do anymore. I know that like Walmart is taking walk-ins. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say the Costco, but my place takes walk-ins too. Although sort of, you know, and I can, I can schedule one and get one. My thing was I wanted to get one before the holidays, but I never go outside anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. I did try and go buy home tests and those are all gone. So, uh, anyway, now you can get some free from the government. Supposedly, uh, I haven't actually written in and gotten this one yet, but, uh, I'll send you the link to where the, U.S. government will send you some tests. Oh, great. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Why don't we I don't think it... you were like horribly wrong. I think the initial getting the initial two is the most important thing and that the booster is not nearly as important, but, you know, it still helps. Well, it seems to help, you know, a significant amount, but, you know, it's my, my main concern is just getting it all and bringing it home for Christmas because we skipped Christmas last year and Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, my grandma's got her booster. So does my mom. Um my dad got uh, at least one vaccine so far. Um, better late than ever. So, I mean, seriously, high five, though, because he's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. My sister's got COVID because she's an idiot, but she'll be fine. Um, cool. Well, she's so, got her immunity then. Yeah. I mean, you know, she did the favor of giving it to her toddler who probably brought it to daycare, probably gave it to everyone else there, brought it home to their parents. So, like, it's not just a matter of, like, she very irresponsibly got sick and stayed home, you know? Mm. But, like... You know, that's what we do. That's how I got chicken pox when I was a kid. Yeah. I was like purposely exposed and then sat at home for a week and had chicken pox. Oh, you uh, were intentionally exposed? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so, like, that was, it sounds like I'm, you know, in my 50s, but that was the way we did it when, back in my day. <laughs> right. If only I'd waited like a year, they probably had a vaccine at that point, but um, did it the old-fashioned way. Um, anyway, I, I wish my sister had done it the smart way, but, you know... She'll be fine. Hopefully she didn't kill anyone in the crossfire in the meantime. So yeah. Anyway, I needed to bring that out because I'm sorry, I deleted user that I didn't remember your name, but I also hope that it wasn't because I was stupid about this, that you left. Maybe just you realized discord isn't that fun. So, but if you're still listening, high five, you're right. So thanks for letting me go on about that for minutes. Yes. There should I, really yeah. be a way to tie this into the cha- chapter title of 150. I've I've left quite a few Discord servers that I just wasn't active enough in. And, you know, sometimes you get the everything pings or they're just they're clogging up your side. So eventually I just left them if I'm not active in them. So I wouldn't even have Discord if I wasn't on the Bayesian conspiracy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But, you know, we so I guess point is, is that user was right. You know, everyone get boosters when you can and, you know, better uh, insert wonderful segue here than one innocent suffer better everybody get vaccinated than one innocent suffer yeah that gets the job done because that is the chapter title for chapter 150 which we're going to jump into now let's go let's do it where did we last leave our heroes about to go visit the professor of ethics that is in jail that's right but yeah basically they want to go and meet with uh, malice was the instructor's name Mm. which malice is actually a really funny name for demon spawn because it sounds like malice right Um, yeah 
they want to go see if she's guilty and or interested in a prison break. And I pulled out a random quote because we've talked about how Amaryllis is obsessed with not calling Athenaeum's colleges. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Malice was educated at a bog standard college, one Hmm. of the lower institutions of learning that could never hope to match the prestige of the Athenaeums. Oh, man. So it sounds like if you call an Athenaeum college, it's like calling Oxford college. Isn't Oxford a college? Yeah, but I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm not picking a you know hoity toity enough school, but like you know, no, it's 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 Oxford. You know, oh, okay. it's, it's it's not just your bog standard state university. You know, gotcha. Yeah, it's not like some community college. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah. That that helps understand that a little bit, I suppose. She's she's a political person, so not pissing off the Athenaeums is probably pretty darn important to her. Yeah, and it could just be you know. She she technically went to one, so she's like, you know, don't don't lump me in with those community college graduates. I went to a real school or something, <laughs> right? But, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that you know, it was just a little piece of you know, interesting it, trivia. It, yeah, and it pointed out why she kept correcting correcting him. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that they're discussing here when they're talking about what legal rights Malice has is that uh, not everyone has the same rights in Leo. And that in a lot of the uh, member nations of the Empire of Common Cause, discrimination on the basis of merit is legal. And when I came across that line, I was like, I think that maybe isn't that a good thing? Because I want my accounting <laughs> firm to discriminate against people who can't do accounting. Um, or I wasn't sure if maybe they meant merit in some other way where it's bad, but... I mean, I can see, like, if they're discriminating on the basis of, you know, can you pee for several feet away from you? Well, that's that's a pee merit thing, and it just happens to exclude women. But, eh, you know, what can you do? It was merit-based. So, I, I mean, I can kind of see that sort of bullshit. But I do think merit's, like, pretty important, and it's it's entirely plausible to discriminate against people, you know, having certain jobs or or positions or something on the merit of whether they're able to do those things. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think this sounds good on paper, which is probably why it's still on paper in Arab, but it lends itself to all kinds of abuses. You know, it the fact that uh, through one of these giant loopholes, uh, one race of people isn't entitled to a just and fair court trial because of uh, merit-based discrimination, is yeah. that, that's, that's the kind of big truck you can drive through these loopholes, right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if it's some bullshit test, like, you know, can she pee far away or whatever? Can her, can she stand in sunlight for long enough, I guess, for her species to walk into the courtroom building? Uh, Oh, she can't do it. Okay, she doesn't have rights. Like, those are bullshit tests. But I think, like, the ones that are legit are probably good. Yeah, you know, like, the pilot of any airplane I fly on should have to pass an eye exam. Yeah. You know, like, so... Uh, stuff related to the job. And that's actually legal in the US. You know, I don't know the last time you did like a mass spamming of job applications, probably, you know, 20 years <laughs> because um, you worked in the same industry for long enough to where like you were just applying for accounting jobs. But yeah, no, no, I think the last time was like four or five years ago when I, when I switched to a different firm. But you were still applying for like accounting. Yeah. Yeah. Way back in the day when you didn't care what you're doing, you just wanted money you'll find that like you have to check a box that says like, yes, I can lift at least 25 pounds. Yes. I can sit in a desk and stand for eight hours or whatever. Like, right. So, right. so those sorts of discriminations are legal apparently. Um, okay. Cause you need, you need to be able to do it to do the job, whatever, 
random arbitrary thing. Well, not random and arbitrary specifically, but whatever thing happens to relate to the job. Um, so is that like, discrimination based on merit or am I thinking of this entirely wrong? I, I guess I'm not sure what kind of merit one would discriminate on. Like I, I assumed that it meant, yeah, I think like you have to be particularly good at something or particularly bad. So again, if you can't see, you shouldn't be driving buses. Um, yeah. It's nothing against people who can't see. Uh, right. You can't so I guess, safely do the job, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess basically we're saying that it's probably good that they have that exception in there, but bad when it's abused. Well, and they, they seem to have not even made made attempts to stamp out the abuses. Like she goes on to say, like, discrimination on the basis of merit is legal. There are things that certain species are capable of. So then merit becomes a proxy for species. And it's not so much that they have anti-discrimination laws with merit-based exceptions. It's that they sucked at stamping out all of the abuses to the exceptions. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they, they should stamp out abuses. Yeah, totally. Okay. At, and I think June... June points out something somewhat correct here. Oh, yeah, where he says a similar thing in America, except we mostly got our shit together, mostly. And I think he's right. But also, I, I think, you know, that this is a cancelable talk right there. So Alex Wales better watch out. I think fight me, bro. I, I agree with him. Uh, we yeah. mostly have. If something that innocuous can can get people mad at you, well, people have too much time on their hands. I think people like to shit on the U.S., but... It's been steadily improving for, I don't know, 150 years. Right. And maybe I'm being optimistic, but things seem to be continuing that way. And um, still one of the, you know, most liberal places on earth. Yeah. You know, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be, you know, not every step will be forward. And we're not leading the world in progressivism, unfortunately, but we're hardly like scrounging for last place. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So th this is just a random one. I It's not even related to anything, but it, I can't remember how it came up. Grack has the sentence. He says, for the dwarves, that's everyone else. We direct hate at anyone not a dwarf and a, fear f and a fair few dwarves as well. And yes. all it could remind me of is Scotsman or is a uh, groundskeeper, Willie. Those damn Scots, they ruined Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great line. Yeah, I think they were talking about how every every group needs some other group to hate to feel better then. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Like Scots and other Scots. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back when The Simpsons was good. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, all right. So this, I just, I'm having an ex existential crisis with this one. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. So before they left for the prison, Valencia had helpfully pointed out that Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was about a wrongfully imprisoned person in a magical jail. Mm. Um, you know, he, he, June holds his tongue, but he really didn't think that was a clue. Yeah. And f like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Everything is a clue. So, like, I, I Val must be onto something. Even the name of the podcast disagrees with you, Stephen. Yeah, but you <laughs> named the podcast. Everything is a clue. I did, yes, because I <laughs> I knew what this book is about, and I named it correctly. <laughs> no, so um, the thing is, the fact that this is called out, I, so it has to be a clue. But I can't think of a single parallel that actually makes like that actually holds any real relation other than the fact that yes they're wrongfully uh imprisoned and they're in magical jails but nothing else seems to relate so maybe it's just one of those ways to really cement that not everything is a clue because he helpfully points out this very big obvious thing that would be a clue if you thought that everything was a clue because val loves the harry potter books and this mirror is one of the plots but it's not a clue at all so you know it turns out not everything is a clue 
Okay, but if this does turn out to be a clue, you have to say, I guess Stephen was right, everything is a clue. Very like, well. She she escapes, or she's not in prison at the end of this reading, right? Yes, just so she, like Sirius Black. Right, so if she turned into an animal and escaped, for example, yeah. mm-hmm. then that was a clue, the prisoner of Azkaban. Did he turn into an animal to escape? I thought it was a time-turner shenanigan. Nope. Uh, that was to escape execution. He got out of the prison by being a dog secretly. Oh, out of, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And then apparently land is just close enough to doggy paddle back to. Um, he's he's a very strong swimmer. I suppose so, because I don't think dogs are like that well-designed for swimming. No. And he had to stay in dog form long enough to avoid the Dementors, so. And magical endurance. And apparently no tough. magical walls. Not a great yeah. prison, but whatever. <laughs> when just any old dog can jump out and swim to freedom. Right. Uh, but this prison is a bit better because they won't let um, visitors take Entads into the prison, which I think totally makes sense because, you know, Entads can do absolutely anything. Uh, and you don't want someone to pull, bring one of those into your prison. Um, and June is like, hmm, uh, okay, I, I think I should leave my Entads behind, but... He says, it was hard to tell what was a normal precaution any St. Joe would take and what was a narrative trick to get me at my <laughs> weakest. And I just think he's looking at this the wrong way. Like, it can totally be both. Like, the best narrative tricks, quote unquote, are the ones that are totally legit. You you want your story and your world to make sense and for people to just be like, oh, yeah, that's that's how that would happen. Like, that's the whole point of good world building, right? So, yeah, I think this isn't even like a trick. It's just good writing or good DMing. So narrative tricks are the same thing as writing tricks. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, this is a sensible thing to do, right? Yes. Even here on Muggle Earth, where we know what guns can do, we still don't let people bring guns when they visit prisoners. Right. It yeah. would be it would be ridiculous if they didn't stop him from going in with NTADs. I know. It's like, oh yeah, I've got the teleport well, I guess the teleportation NTADs are well known. But you know, whatever. Yeah. The get out of jail and, free card NTAD. Yeah. And then, you know, you happen to be attacked in jail because someone who was looking to attack you knew you'd be without your NTADs then, which makes perfect sense. That's exactly what you'd do if you were trying to ambush someone who had a ton of NTADs on him and you figured they were gonna go to a jail. I was also really glad their stuff was there when they got back. Yeah, me too. I it would it would I mean, have been a I, lot of not fun if it was just like oh nope someone stole it but mm-hmm. it's exactly what would happen right yes i i was really really expecting it to be gone my first read through i was like oh god here we go this is because every video game has that that part in it where you get stripped of all the cool stuff you've gotten along the way and you gotta fight through as like a bare knuckle noob again can confirm yes maybe not every video game but a lot of them a lot of them i wonder like they they surrender everything, including like Sable, just to like I picture like one of those plastic bins at the airport. Mm-hmm. Like, can you just be like, hold on, I'm gonna go put my shit in my car and like, you know, go give your stuff to Crack and whoever else came. I think it was Raven. I think that would be a would have been a better idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know why they didn't do that. Maybe because it would have raised flags or something. But it's like, no, the shit's expensive. Yeah, you know what? What's this entad do? It makes my dick bigger, but it costs a million opals. So you know, right. like, no, you don't. I'm not gonna just leave it in this bucket. In Sable, they have, you know, basically the equivalent of a, a nuclear weapon or a nuclear, a, a massive nuclear fuel at any rate. Like, yeah, that that guard, if he knew, would never have to work again, could just take it and run. Probably yeah. would be killed soon for it. But, you know, but he, he, he could ransom it, ransom it back for a hefty sum. Yeah. Yeah. 
but he didn't. So that that's good. Um, that being said, like June has been thinking a lot about narrative, like especially in these past couple chapters. And right here, he's like, "Uh oh, is this a narrative trick to get me weak and have an interesting fight?" And that was like, it was just two episodes ago that we were commenting about him saying, "I'm not thinking about the narrative anymore. That's that's all Amaryllis now." And I, I think, what what are you doing backsliding so soon, June? Like, stick to your guns, man. And he's been saying that over and over, right? But the, he has, yes. But, you know, it's it's tough, you know, because he, he knows that in some sense this probably does actually matter. You know, mm. you can't ignore the giant invisible elephant in the sky forever. But he knows that, like, he won't figure anything out by looking at it. And so he just tries to live his life like it's not there. But when you know that it can be interfering at any time, it's just, it, I think it would, it would drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, really hard not to think about that. I know, right? No. Um, so they do make it into talk to Malice, and yeah. she uh, she doesn't seem to care very much. Yeah, she's she's bizarrely resigned to her fate, and now, of course, having finished the reading, it's probably because she knew she was getting out. But yeah, you know, she sarcastically maybe guesses that June is there to talk about his grade in her class, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Oh, you're good. You know, I already submitted the paperwork. Is that why you came?" And he's like, "No, I'm I'm here because I think." you probably didn't do it because you're an ethics professor and Mm -hmm. like she doesn't seem interested in defending herself or anything. And there's one funny line where he says, well, it seems like a really obvious setup to me. And she says, yeah, apparently my predecessor didn't do a good job, good enough job teaching ethics. (laughs) That's a great line. I pulled it out at first too. Yeah. And so what she thought that she's going to be killed like later today or tomorrow and she's making jokes. I, I just figured, Okay, does the demon spawn or whatever are or the demon blooded are super chill, right? I you know, she didn't strike me as like totally zen like Solace is. I on my first read through, by the time we got to the end of their interaction, I was like, all right, she has to have some kind of trick up her sleeve. She thinks someone's gonna bust her out or something, because who who would possibly turn that down except for someone who's like, you know what? Don't fuck with the rescue operation that's coming for me tomorrow night. Just back away and and leave it alone man you're only getting in their way but she can't say that so i i very much i was like there's there's she did she has something up her sleeve here if i was smarter i probably would have thought of that i just figured that she was just like i don't know way too relaxed about it she's mm-hmm. like whatever you know this might as well happen well, <laughs> <laughs> tired of living anyway yeah um oh yeah so yeah, we don't know each other and this doesn't concern you is the line that you pulled out. So yeah, no, I think you're right that it was probably clear at the time that she was uh that she had a plan. Um and Amaryllis, well that's that then. Have a good rest of your life. And, <laughs> and you know that the rest of her life is a few days. I know. Which is gonna be in jail. Yeah, I, I liked because I mean, she was obstinately obstinately resistant to their aid, right? Mm-hmm. And Sam was like, "Okay, fine, fuck you." Yeah, <laughs> which I I can get behind. Yes, um, I I figured that. Okay, so maybe there, she is involved in something, right? But then, what does she have to lose? Like, maybe June could turn on her organization or something if she accepted his help. Um, but yeah, they apparently burned through their whole half hour there, uh, just trying to get her to comply with her with her own rescue. Yeah. Um, and then my my last thought was that maybe she's involved with Harold somehow. But shrug oh, yeah. on whatever that Who means. Knows. Yeah. I that's not really a that's too vague to be a guess. Yeah. 
Um, She's involved with something, and one of the things we know about is Harold, so maybe that is it. Yeah, why not? Um, Or Azkaban. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, during these readings, and I think we got one last week. Oh, yeah, with Pallida. um, We we get some just little interlude point of views with other characters. And it's really cool. I'm glad we're getting more of these. Me too. I hope this this keeps up. Um, So this one's with Grack, and it's like, what are Grack and Raven doing out in the hallway while they're in there talking to... uh, the ethics professor who apparently is just super eager to be executed. Um, yeah. And there's just a line from Grack that I liked. Uh, he says it had been easy in the past to think of himself as a mercenary, someone following orders for his weekly pound of gold, but the past was past. And now he was demanding something more of himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's changing and becoming a newer, better person. Yeah. And it's nice to like, just get the inside view that, you know, we can kind of see that from the outside, but it's nice to see it from the inside too. Yeah, totally. Uh, when he is talking, he, again, Raven mentions the whole knights thing. Cause she was one of Uther's knights and Grax says, we are not knights, not subordinate. He is insistent. And I, well, I do really like how June tries to keep the space separating him from the rest of the crew, like as small as possible. Uh, I think he's deluding himself somewhat if he thinks this is completely true, but I'm also not sure if he actually thinks it's completely true. If he's just like doing his best and insisting, like like Rack says, he is insistent. Like it is an insistence that they at the very least do their best to pretend that everybody is equal, you know? Does everybody being equal, is that a requisite for not being someone else's subordinate? Um, no, but... Because, like, yeah, you can kick all their asses, but they all still only get one vote, you know? Right. Well, I mean, it's not the asking that matters, though. It's the voting. Like, the the only reason their votes matter is because June um, wishes to respect their votes. And, you know, even though it's kind of unsaid, I think everybody understands that if June wants to ignore their votes, he can. And then their decision is just like, well, do I want to go along with June anyway, or do I leave now? And... That, that puts him at a, a slightly different power dynamic. And he can try to keep the distance between them as small as possible and take all their, you know, counsel and everything. But ultimately, everyone knows he's got, like, supreme veto power. And that'll always there'll always be some level of difference between them in power. It's interesting because I, I don't really... I don't know. I'm not, I'm not hung up on it that way. Like, yes, June can veto their votes, but, like, they can also veto his right like if 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 all but grack vote for one for doing something grack and just say no forget it you guys are idiots i refuse right like yeah, he, he could, could do that mm-hmm. and so can any of them including yes. june right so that part's but, equal yeah but then their their option is to leave june and june is you know he's the new uther he's the one that the narrative is around like he needs their help and he wants to keep their help but it's not quite the same as if one of them uh, was was who the world revolved around. Yeah, that's true. It's uneven as far as who's like more important. But I feel like I mean, like on a world scale. But I guess I guess the main difference is that you know, like the last time around when Raven did this, you know, mm-hmm. she she followed orders from somebody who never brought her into the loop. Yeah, and this time she sits at the table with somebody who's fully open with her. Yeah. So June at least, at least there's that. Yeah, he's definitely making it as as equal as possible. Yeah, certainly totally. much more than Uther, who just demanded obedience. Yeah, and you know, I'm still really looking forward to getting 
the full digest on how that all went down. Cause you know, if he, I don't know, maybe the NPCs were less convincing back then or something. Right. But he seems to be pretty sure that they were, uh, less sapient than June thinks. And so, yeah, you know, I don't ask my companions in a video game what they think is the best thing. I say, no, go shoot that guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't um, know. It's tough. Maybe it was just a matter of how long he was at it. Like maybe when he was one year into it, June's less than one year in, he was still much more. I mean, he, it was three years before he even started his adventuring career. He just spent it like hanging around in cities and doing plays and shit. Right. That's a good point. That's a long time too. Yeah. You know, given how, given how good June has gotten. And apparently maybe, Arthur's knack was more general than June's. Maybe eventually he was just, it felt too much like a game and he, I don't know, he couldn't see past that. Yeah. He did say something in that mirror message about how in the beginning he was more taken in by the NPCs and their stupid little problems. Yeah. But that sort of wore off. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see when we see I, it, I guess. I feel we may have a reprisal of this when we get to the side quest discussion because maybe eventually just got to feeling like everybody else and everything else in the world is a side quest and he doesn't want to do them anymore. Yeah. I I I can I can relate. I think yeah, we'll have to talk about there for sure. Yeah. Uh but yeah, Greg talks uh about a few things he he observed uh or he thinks about Uther and then he qualifies that with you know these are just these are just my uh observations my guesses based on what June has said about Arthur and he says I did not know Uther and Raven says I don't think I did either and that's that felt that seemed like a really sad thing to say uh for me because they spent I don't know at least a decade together probably longer and she she doesn't think like she ever knew him like was he isolating himself? Maybe it was just because she was 12 the whole time, so he never felt like he could actually open up or relate to a 12-year-old. But it's a long time to go and not get to know someone. Yeah. No, I think it's... I mean, it could be the fact that, yeah, he didn't talk with her like he did the others because she, you know, was a child. But I think the other thing, too, is that he didn't tell anybody most of his stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He acted like, no, I'm just a, you know, really talented, badass king. Um, yeah. So, you know she's she's learned that everything that she knew about him was not true right well a lot of it yeah yeah the 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 enough of it to mean like i don't think i knew him yeah you right. know, i knew some of the stuff he was a man of you know character who wanted to help people and that sort of thing but like if you find out that he was a different person from a different planet like that's a major revelation yeah and he you know had some interface to the universe that let him assign skill points into getting good at things and that's how he was so awesome at stuff and he never troubled to tell us about any of that. And yeah, I can see why she feels so far out of the loop that she feels like she didn't really know him. Yeah. Um, there was a, I can't remember how it comes up, but they're talking about a other stuff. Some, and she excluded mentions uh, things. Yeah. Bloodline attack. And she says, Oh yeah, it's an excluded magic. Um, so many magics are gone more than the empire counts. That was one of the nastier ones silently excluded to an unknown place. It was once possible to kill a man by waving a spell and punching his father hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Which is which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's it is the kind of thing too that uh definitely warrants excluding. Um <laughs> you know, it just imagine if this was around now, um, you know, they can't beat June, but June's dad is just a muggle, 
right? Mm-hmm. They go to Fumblebuck and punch him in the face and yeah. they just win. Like, of course, this shit's overpowered. And I, it did say, too, that it was excluded to an unknown place. And so I guess that means that literally every excluded magic is like has to still work somewhere. That's what it sounds like. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But maybe it was excluded underground or something. So you'd have to dig a pit to find it. Yeah, like, why wouldn't it just be, like, one five-foot-by-five-foot cube? It could, yeah, who knows? Maybe it's, like, whatever the DM thinks would be most most fun. Yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but the, when they're, they're talking about exclusions, and Grax says, I wonder what air will be like once the last magic has been excluded from the world. Like Earth, I suppose. And Raven says, let's pray that we never find out. And... I thought that was a great line to end the chapter on. It sounds really ominous. Like, oh my God, we'd be stuck on fucking earth. Wouldn't that be miserable? And also like, again, kind of sad. Just the loss of magic, the loss of specialness. Um, but I don't know. Like, I, I, the number of things struck me sad in this chapter when I was reading it. And I thought maybe I was just like in a really sad mood the day that I was reading this chapter. I'm, I'm not sure. I think the same thing jumped out at me as sad. Like, I, you know certainly that's foreboding as all hell and mm-hmm. and it is a bummer like you said it's like oh yeah the loss of all this potential that we used to have um for what it's worth i don't see that happening you know unless june becomes god and gets rid of all magic like i get the impression that uh things don't get excluded when magics do um like if they did whatever magic that felseed has would also have excluded him right yeah so it just like if they if if magic was all excluded up you know into these little pockets around the the plane, then I think everyone would just die like within the week. Like a void beast would come crashing through and eat everybody, or um, whatever other insane overpowered entity, right? Maybe maybe there'd be like some pocket of humanity left somewhere, and they would slowly work their way back into existence and follow a similar trajectory as regular Earth did. That's possible. Yeah. You know, but it would still be super lame. Oh, totally. And uh, every now and then like someone would wander into the self felt seed zone on accident and, and get eaten up and slowly they'd map out these places where no one should walk into because if you do, then the universe turns crazy and destroys you. Yeah. I think I don't see that happening for whatever it's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, why would I, you know, I don't have any particularly insight and or particularly informed insight into it. I just, as a hunch, I don't think make, that this book will, you know, go on with like magic slowly being removed one by one until no one can blood punch anymore, right? Yeah, I think like maybe it would make for a cool sequel like centuries down the line or something, but it would be a drastically different book if like all the magic and things got taken out and it was just a survival in the post magic, you know, savage times book. It would just be a different story at that point. One might even say this story used to be about dungeons. <laughs> i'm really curious as to what that is i have not read any of it yet oh you haven't started it no no because like i i wasn't sure what we want to do with that if anything i'm I'm leaving it alone until we're done with this Ooh, maybe we'll do it together maybe that sounds like fun yeah all right let's move on to 151 the mind's eye yeah it opens with like background discussion of how arthur had always been a fan of pointing out like time compression in media mm-hmm I think I pointed out the same thing with like how quick some of the conversations go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, that was 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah. 
but this is more than that. This is more like how, you know, in, I think they use Harry Potter, the regular one, but you know, the, uh, methods of rationality, I think it's like the first 25 something chapters are all within his first week. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the last hundred are the entire rest of the year, but it's, it's heavily slanted towards the beginning. Um, and so, Oh, I guess I was worried that June was bringing this up because I was worried that we were going to get like a huge jump. Um, or that like we're going to radically start picking up the pace and it's going to keep being like, and two months later, and two months later, and we are going to get several years just kind of flying by. And I kind of hope we don't get that. I I agree. But also like the first, I think the first several chapters of this arc covered like his first day. And then the next two, three chapters were the next day. And then like we jump ahead two days or something, don't we? Yeah, that's true. We And we've had some, some time jumps. Um, yeah. I, but- I think basically it's just pointing out the fact that, you know, you skip over the boring stuff and sometimes there's a lot of boring stuff all in a row. And so time gets compressed to just get to the good things. And I think, you know, that's what he's saying. Like, Hey, you know, maybe when he's meditating down there for seven and a half days, that's only going to cover a paragraph or two rather than seven chapters with each chapter being one day of meditation, you know, maybe possibly (laughs) that, that makes sense. And that, that kind of stuff I can get behind. I guess what I was hoping is that, you know, we're not here on air for 40 in book years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, unless there's like some epilogue or whatever, but I don't want to see, I don't know, you know, like the little moment with Grack last chapter, I don't want to see that growth in hindsight, right? I, I like seeing it as it comes along. Yeah. So. We did, I, th- I think for like the first couple of weeks on Arab was a massive amount of chapters and like always when you're exploring a cool new world or place, the, the, highest density of novel things that have to be talked about and experienced is going to be near the beginning, right? Because by the 20th time you've seen a dwarf, it's not something to real comment on anymore. Yeah, no, totally. I think, um, you know, I don't remember how many days it was from when he got thrown out of the plane to like when they end up in uh, Baron Jewel. I think it was less than 48 hours. Yeah. And so that was something like 18 chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then chapter 19 was montage, which like, kind of gets to be an exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yes, a week passes, but it just straight up says a week passes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah. we'll see how the, the pa- I'm enjoying the pacing so far. I guess was, that was my five minute way of making that point. Yeah, me too. I just, I think this is like a clue that not just a clue, a explicit statement of the fact that we're probably going to have some less, you know, going through every single day and more just getting to the next momentous thing that happens. Yeah, I just hope that momentous things keep happening in quick succe- quick succession so we don't get major time jumps. Yes. Yeah. So, Ermator asked that uh, June end the attend the meditation workshop, uh, which means she's probably in on Herald, is what they say near the beginning of this, and uh, once it gets back into Arab. And I just had to pull this out because I think I said in the last episode that it was the ethics instructor that asked him to attend the meditation workshop, and that doesn't make any sense at all why would the ethics professor ask him that i think the only reason i thought that was because then she went to jail and i was like oh she must have been in on something but like no it wasn't her it was Armator. so uh i don't know what the hell i was thinking i'm dumb and i just wanted to correct myself on the record <laughs> well don't feel too dumb i i can't remember what uh Armator teaches um, yeah. i know that he's t- that he was taking ethics and defense against the dark arts or i guess mm-hmm. combat magic um mm-hmm. Yeah, let's be real. There's no way to even frame this as defense against combat magic, right? Uh, right. <laughs> he was he was taking murder class, 
and uh <laughs> and ethics i don't remember like one of them in, maybe one class involved math maybe this is the math teacher like the the theory teacher right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah the one that had like the the uther summoning stone that he didn't get to listen to was that Armator? I have no idea. See, it's like, oh, okay. so I guess I, I can only remember at most three classes, and I don't remember which one Armator taught either. So don't feel too dumb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can be dumb together. Yeah. But we are not talking about Armator. We're talking at, about Oberlin, because that's who he goes to see, who is the combat magic and uh, instructor. The guy who's got four arms to so he can punch four people at the same time. And uh, he swears, I, I pulled this out, Oberlin swore and leaned back in his chair, crossing his forearms across his chest, which proves to me that it is a very, very sexy chest. I mean, let's be real, the dude has four packs, right? Yes, he'd, he'd have to. It's got to be a very sexy chest. Oh, yeah. But, you know, disappointingly, this, this straight up proves that I guess I am just a boob obsessed pervert because <laughs> I completely didn't even notice this line. Oh, really? Yeah. Even though he had four arms this time to cross across his chest. You you would think it would jump out at me. You know, we've got <laughs> okay. basic, and he's like blue too, isn't he? Mm, Maybe. I don't remember his color now. Oh, but hit the dummy. I don't see color. Blue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I certainly don't when it's on a page. Um, yeah. The, anyway, I, I think that he might've been blue or something. In any case, he looks like Machamp, right? The Pokemon. Oh, okay. I, I knew what you, you mean now. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd think I him crossing his arms would be quite the visual, and it didn't even register on my 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 read. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I thought of the dude from there's no the, boobs. I thought of the dude from the end of the... <laughs> if there's no boobs, you don't care. I guess. Uh, from the end of the Mortal Kombat. I think it was the first Mortal Kombat that had the big forearmed... Was it a lady? I think it was a forearmed lady, actually. I hmm. never saw any of the Mortal Kombat movies. Oh, I didn't either. I'm talking about the video game. Oh, I never it's beat any so of the games. Long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. These games are ancient now. Remember Pac-Man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, June tells him about the meditation monster. <laughs> Your note here says, apparently it's some nerd named Harold. <laughs> that was a great note. Well, what's funny is that, uh, whatever, Oberlin says Harold, mm-hmm. and... I, I was like, okay, that's a pretty lame name for a dream monster. But then, you know, Harold is also a verb, and that makes it ominous, right? Yeah, because he's a herald of the end times. Right. But apparently, Arab just names their world-ending threat, or I guess Uniquities, ends their world-ending threats like we name hurricanes. Yeah. And that was just like next on the list, Harold. And I really enjoyed that it was spelled Harold, like, you know, a herald of the end times. I like the fact that it was written the way June interpreted it until he was corrected and then written like the, the dude's name, Harold, after that. Right. Yeah, he spelled it with an E until he was told, like, no, Harold, like a nerd. And he's like, oh, OK, I gotcha. Because <laughs> there could never be a cool person named Harold. No, I'm sure there's tons of cool people named Harold. It's just it. it's one of those names. Uh, it. I think any name that like anyone could have been named 200 years ago is a nerdy mm-hmm. name, even though lots of names are old. I don't know. You don't think someone could have been named Stephen 200 years ago? I'm not saying that Stephen is not a nerdy name. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, but it, it, you know, there was never a King Stephen, but there was a King Harold, I bet, right? Well, Probably. we can find out, actually. I don't know, Stephen, for some reason. King of England, Duke of Normandy, also Stephen I of Hungary. Oh, all right. Oh, that one's and, actually me. And, oh, really? No. Oh, okay. Wouldn't and have been Stephen cool, 
It would be cool. And Stefan Bathory, former king of Poland. There were at least three kings named Stephen, dude. Oh, and one of them was king of Poland. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, good on us. Go Stevens. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Um, sorry. Where, where were we before we were talking about king's names? Oblivion. Oblivion. Oh, right. Okay. So June asks, uh, there's this cult and the cult wants to end the world. And June asks, like, why would someone want to end the world? That never really made sense to me. Oberlin says, I ah, don't worry about it. And he's like, no, 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 I'd like to know. This seems like a thing I would should know. And he goes, okay, well, there's people that believe Oblivion is better than eternal torment in the hells. That's the majority position on air because they spike people and let them get obliviated rather go, than going to hell. And I think we both agree that that's correct too, right? Yes. For a sufficiently persuasive definition of eternal, June uh, elected to have eternal quote unquote torment forever because he doesn't think it'll be forever. Right, right. Yeah. You and I, if we're muggles on Arab, we'd have every reason to think it's forever. Exactly. So yeah, sign me up for a jar, please. Yes. Uh, and he goes on to say that some people stare into the Infernoscope and decide that it would be better if all creation were destroyed rather than to have the hells continue existing. And I think they're right, actually, because it sounds like there's a lot more people in the hells than there are alive. And even even if there was a one-to-one ratio of people in hells to people alive, which I don't think is possible because I know we've lost at least 10 billion people in the past like century and Arab has been around for 30,000 years. But even if there was just a one-to-one ratio, then like the suffering of those people would outweigh the happiness of the people living. And for as long as the world continues, for every thousand people or whatever that lives, some fraction of them are going to end up as new entrants to hell. And so the longer existence continues, like just the worse this math problem is. I think I'm very much on the side that the best thing you can do in Arab is to end all existence. And like probably the best thing to do would be like to stop everyone currently alive from reproducing. And then when the last few people are about to die of old age, then you end all existence. But that's really hard to coordinate. And if you don't have the option of doing that, best thing to do is just end existence as soon as possible, right? Yeah, no, I I think that they make a very sympathetic point. Like, you're right. Even if it was one to one, even if it was 10 to one Airbnbs versus uh, hell uh, occupants, like... I don't know how to count gutles as if that's a thing, but like their lives are bad in hell and they're forever. And you're right. I don't know what the number is, but apparently I knew there's time there are 20 billion people and now there's five. So mm-hmm. there's at a minimum three to one, you know, but I mean, whatever the number would be with the history point is there are lots of people in hell. Um, and I guess we don't know how many of those people were bottled. doesn't matter. We're getting hung up. Point is hell is terrible. And yes, if hell existed on earth, um, and everyone went there by default. Like, yes, I'd be super in favor of of turning the universe off, right? Yes. I also, I want to sort of bring this back to reality a little bit. Because when I was in my extremely depressed period, like, I was sort of an extinctionist. And by sort of, I mean, there was a period of a couple of years in my life where I, I remember that interview we did on the Basin Conspiracy with, um, was it Jason? Yes. Yes, that he said if he had a button that he could push that would just end existence immediately and painlessly, he would push it. I was I was also in that position. And um, that's because I just I felt that life on net is suffering. There's there's more bad than good in life. And we'd all be better off not existing on net. And I don't know, I guess I think right now the math doesn't necessarily work out that way. But how how long has that been the case? Like. 
lives were pretty miserable before the industrial era, weren't they? I mean, well, A, I'm glad that you don't feel that way anymore because um, it's a tough spot to be in. You know, I think, and maybe I'd get thrown out of a philosophy conference, but like, I don't think it's about summing the total amounts of like positive and negative experiences and their intensities that determine if a life was worth living, right? Right. You know, someone's life could overall mostly suck, but it could have been good enough that they would have wanted to live. And like, that's not up to you to say that they're stupid and uninformed, right? I, that's true. I shouldn't have that power over somebody else's life. No. And I guess you, I was using in the general context of uh, anyone who would push the button to kill everybody, right? Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, you know, whether or not you think that, like, they think their lives are worth living. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It feels weird to be like, yeah, you know what? All the mass life forms on Earth over the past several billion years should have gone through all this suffering just so that at this point in the modern era, humans can actually have some percentage of humans can have pretty decent lives. Like I don't know. It feels feels like a big ask to ask for all that suffering to happen to get here. But well, it'd be a little bit better if it didn't happen that way. You know, would but it? yeah, I mean, like, I think would, I think would it so. have been better for nothing to have existed on Earth? That's see, that's that's tough. I. I don't think so, but I'm biased because I exist now. Um, yeah. But like, you know, if it could have happened with less suffering, that'd have been better. But well, I mean, sure. But assuming that it couldn't have. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's tough. Like, I don't know how you can look back and say this was or wasn't worth it. It It's just how things happened. Should it have gone differently? Like, I can parse the question, but I don't know that it has a meaningful answer. You know, unless we're talking about like, okay, Stephen, you're going to architect the next universe. How will you do it? Um, but until I'm in that position, I don't really feel like this is an answer or a question worth answering or that I, I'm even capable of answering. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe if the answer isn't worth trying to find, then there's something wrong with the question we're asking. Maybe suffering doesn't have, it feels weird saying maybe suffering doesn't have a value because then you justify things like torturing people for information or enslaving people so you can live slightly better, you know? And I don't want to do that either. Yeah, suffer- suffering matters and it's important. And I think I mentioned that like if I got to become God on Earth and do some secret stuff, but more or less leave the world alone, like one thing I would do is when an animal is about to be whatever, lethally killed, I would just like turn it into a philosophical zombie. Yeah. So like it doesn't sit there and get just, you know, get tortured to death. It just it's it just turns off. Yeah. Um, you know, that that would obviously be a nice thing. I think that'd be better than what we have now. Yeah, suffering sucks. The less the, the less the merrier. It's kind of why they call it suffering and not merriment. But <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. Um like I said though, I think unless I was in position to be the next god, I don't really know how why I would even bother designing another system, another approach, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's also the interesting conundrum of if you are someone on Arab and you have the possibility to destroy Arab with nearly 100% certainty or to try to support June to hopefully maybe become a god, like, do you throw away your shot at destroying Arab just on the off chance that June might become a god? I think it depends. Like, the people who tried to kill him with the soul poison weren't, uh, whatever, oblivionists, but, or they weren't. What I don't think that they were doing it for the oblivion doctrine, but right. you know, I suppose I could put my plans to end the world on hold for a few years to see if June became, you know, to see if he saved the world first. Okay, but as, as long as you could start them up again without a problem once yeah. you failed, 
Yeah, it That's seems cool. like they're they're not like building a machine that, you know, you have 30 seconds to press the button before it doesn't work ever again, you know? Yeah. They're doing it through some other method because they've tried before. You know, I bet even June could get on board with that. Like if he could make an open, um, an open, not agreement, but offer to all and the world cultists on Arab to be like, you know what? I will help you get 98% of the way and you help me get becoming God. And if I fail at it, then go ahead and end the world. That that, that might be a mutually beneficial relationship. I think They'd that he'd be in favor of ex- that. Yeah. 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 They have a chance to, you know, exchange in, in <laughs> world ending trade here to make things better regardless of how it shakes out. Well, and he probably like would prefer that outcome if he fails. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I would. I mean, he, he's the one who says like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, like he signed up to go to hell, but mm-hmm. he's a special case. You know, I it, guess it couldn't be such a public offer because probably some people would try to stop him if he was setting up a, you know, the world, all existence ends kill switch if I die thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, if, <laughs> but if it's kind of Jim's Jonesy. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if it was Raven or something, right? Yeah. It could be like, look, give me two years or give me however long you think it'll take. You know, you're going to live forever, basically. You know, mm-hmm. give me, give me a century. Uh, wait, wait till you're 20. And if by that time I haven't <laughs> saved the universe, then by all means, destroy it. And I'll give you all my help to do it, you know, to get you half the way there or something. Or 98% of the way there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're maybe going to destroy the world. And uh, if we do do that, then apparently Harold's going to show up because according to Yikovis, he shows up when bad things are going to happen sometimes. Not always. Uh, and I got the impression from this that he doesn't actually do bad stuff himself. He just kind of shows up when something's going to go down. And uh, I guess that's sort of useful to have sort of a, a warning like that. Yeah. So he isn't. So I misread this my first time going through it. And it wasn't until I saw your note that I went back and reread like what they actually talk about. So it's not that they um, like that these different cults or whatever are trying to summon Harold in particular it's that when they get close to ending creation this guy shows up that's what it sounds like but also every time he has shown up it fizzled and turned into a nothing burger yeah so i wonder if he's stopping it Ooh. i mean no that would be really cool yeah but then you wonder why he'll walk around looking so scary you know June um, probably looks kind of scary or valencia the red is like this red demon thing covered with thorny spikes yeah, but I don't know. If he wasn't on fire, he could go over and just talk to June without being so intimidating. Right? Like he might not be an entity that can like converse with the mortal species. Yeah, it's also entirely possible that June is a world-ending threat and that Harold is trying to shut him down, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I It could be that. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder, I don't know how he could be stopping things. Especially things on the scale of like the void beast, mm. you know, um, it kind of makes sense that if, you know, I made an artificial world, you know, in the game that's I'm going to let run for 20 years and see what happens. And I wrote in lots of things that could, in theory, just destroy it all. Well, I'm going to write in other things that keep that from happening because I want the game to be there in 20 years. Mm. But it's not clear what, you know a guy that you can only see in your imagination would do to stop Felseed or something. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose we'll see. Uh, again, it's not clear if he, I mean, he, he's not exactly hostile, right? Um, yeah. I mean, he's, sure. He, he, he mind jacked at least one person, probably the entire class. 
Yeah. Um, but if it is you just know, to has, get in, like to talk with June, who he's afraid was going to end the world, you know, yeah. who hasn't done a little bit of mind jacking here and there. I mean, I think it'd be justified if, if you felt like you're talking to somebody who has a 5% chance of destroying the, destroying earth. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not even yeah. doing it like rudely. You know, he could be holding a gun to, um, Sony's head mm-hmm. and saying, look, meditate or I'm blowing her brains out. Right. Yeah. But no, he doesn't even hold her hostage. Harold might be a righteous dude. He might be a righteous dude. <laughs> I suppose we'll have to see. <laughs> yes. Um, June says, uh, when talking about narrative again, I b- have been trying my best to rein in Amaryllis's obsession with narrative. Instead, electing to live my life on air in the ways in which I would prefer to live it, narrative be damned. And I think that kind of answered my previous question about him thinking about narrative and why he was doing that when he said he wouldn't. Like, maybe he still actually does think about the narrative things and looks out for warning signs, but he doesn't live his life by it. Like, uh, like he at the prison, he gave up his entads, even though he was like, ah, oh, this could be a narrative thing, but I can't live my life by narrative. Boom, entads go in the box. So, you know, it could have been a clue to a trap, but he isn't l- letting it control everything. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely could have been a potential clue about a trap, but not everything. Oh, I almost yeah. got me to say it. Oh, uh, warming my way in like Harold. <laughs> no, I mean, that's not like the same kind. That's not like a narrative, you know, thing is nudging me this way to do this. That's just like, that's airport security. You know, like, you're right. Good narrative will be invisible like that. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, narrative is like, you know, I've gone to four different places. They're all 500,000 or they're all 10,000 miles apart. And I keep bumping into people from my old high school. Like that's, that's narrative fuckery, right? Right. Not, not being asked to surrender your weapons when you go visit a prisoner. Um, that's, you know, it, frankly, it would be narrative fuckery if they let him through with them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're going to need these. Cause there's gonna be a boss encounter in the hallway. Like, <laughs> well, that's, that's the difference between narrative fuckery and just, you know, good, solid, subtle narrative. Yeah. It's, you know, if, if the DM is not heavy handed, then it makes speculating about all the narrative stuff even like all the more pointless. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, it's indistinguishable from common sense. Then it's like, well, then what the hell? You mm-hmm. know, it, if if God works in mysterious ways, then like there's no sense in trying to scrutinize them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it can be maddening. It can be. Yeah. The So here's a maddening thing. Uh, they, he's there with Sony at the meditation class. No one else is there. They say, all right, let's hang around for five minutes. See if anyone else shows up. They exchange like four sentences and then they're like, all right, no one's here. Let's go. (laughs) Um, I was like, wow, that was a really fast five minutes. And you alluded to this back when they were in prison and they, they were trying to convince, um, the malice to come with them. They, at the beginning of that interaction, the guard told them you have 30 minutes. And then he bangs on the door and says like three minutes left. And I was like, holy shit. That 27 minutes, like, I guess, you know, I can believe they did a lot of talking and trying to convince her that we didn't see on the page. But, like, ever since you pointed out, I didn't, I did not notice any of this my first read through. But since several chapters ago, when you pointed out that things seem to happen much, the time seemed to pass a lot faster than it would have if people were saying these lines to each other. Like, it's, uh, it's, I've been super aware of it and it's kind of been jumping out at me and damn you to hell for that. Yeah. There's gotta be a word for this kind of like story. Um, Cause any book that does that mentions time like this, I've noticed this before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it hasn't just been in this book, but I've just noticed it 
anew in this book, but you know, oh yeah. And then we were here for like, especially if they're talking about minutes. Cause then like, you're like, okay, I could have been present for minutes. If you say two hours passed, then just two hours passed. Right. Yeah. But it's like, all right, we better wait five minutes. Cause that's how long you have until the, you're legally allowed to leave. And the teacher doesn't show up. Um, mm-hmm. And then they say, you know, how you doing? Not so bad. And you, and like, that's the five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that took us two seconds. Um, yeah. I think that's just how things happen. Cause what would, I think five, five minutes of dialogue, if we were like to lot. try and measure it like that, that would be a lot. Yeah. You can say a lot in five minutes. It's like an immersion hazard for reading, right? Yeah. And I've infected you, know you and now we've ruined it. Now we've ruined re- reading for our audience. Uh, there's a rule of thumb screenplays that one page equals one minute of screen time. So, yeah, if we'd gotten five pages of dialogue, we would have gotten five minutes, which is a fuckload of dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's not all dialogue, but there, I don't think there was a line in either of those things about, yeah, there was actually like nothing in this that could have indicated that like minutes passed. Once they leave, it says we walked together and did some idle chattering. That's indefinite, right? Yeah. That could be 30 seconds or 30 minutes. But that's not until after the five minutes passed. The five minutes was just like these six lines of dialogue. <laughs> I think this is just an indication that if I'm ever writing, I shouldn't ever say a distinct number of minutes are going to pass because that's that's a trap. Or throw in a line that says we did some idle chatter, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed this in movies too. Whenever someone says like, it's going to blow in 30 seconds or something, I, like, I'll start mentally counting. Uh, whenever someone gets dunked underwater... I will hold my breath personally because I mm-hmm. hold my breath or I used to be able to hold my ba- breath a decently long time for a human. And, um, and just to see like if I can hold my breath until the, the character surfaces again. But also when you're shooting a movie, it's really fucking hard to know like how long any particular shot is going to be, how many seconds of this take that you're doing is going to end up in the final movie. Like, I think you're just setting yourself up for failure if you're saying an exact number of seconds or minutes are about to pass because you won't know exactly unless you're just insanely good at uh, at editing and planning things out how long a certain scene is going to be. There's a subreddit I like called Movie Details and another one I like called Shitty Movie Details. And the best is when you read the headline <laughs> and you don't know what subreddit it's from. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I can't remember what movie it was. At some point, some character in a movie says something along the lines of like there's only 20 minutes left mm-hmm. and they're like they're saying it in dialogue they're not like breaking the fourth wall but that's exactly how many minutes like, i think to the second until the credits roll oh nice and i don't remember the number of minutes or what movie it was so unless someone just happens to remember that reference then good luck googling it i guess but yeah you, you those kinds of little nods can be fun but mm-hmm. um yeah i feel like it was a tarantino movie but i don't know why i think that so Anyway, um, moving on. Yeah. So, oh yeah, like I mentioned, so June goes to meditation class. So I'm usually the only one there. Um, apparently, some shady shit's going on. Um, you know, everyone's vanished, including the teacher. So yeah. they, I think June surreptitiously talks into his walkie-talkie, and you know who shows up? Oh, Val is a random friend. You know, oh hey, where? Hey, Ruby. You know, just happened to bump into you, huh? Um, mm-hmm. who's this, your friend? Oh, cool. You want to come over for dinner? And, uh, she's like, oh, sure. You know, in that case, I just have one request. You know, I want to do some meditation before we eat. And <laughs> I'm just like, oh, damn it. I was hoping she was uncompromised. And like, that's why she, that's why she showed up. Mm-hmm. But no one insists that they get a chance to meditate before dinner unless they're trying to summon a world ending threat. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I don't 
condition coming over for free meal on me being able to meditate first, unless I'm trying to kill you. Well, you know, that's sort of a thing Christians do, right? Or it's like, my one request is, would you all hold hands and meditate before we eat this dinner? So I think they're trying to summon Jesus, man. Yeah, and he's there to At usher in the end, of, end times. Yes, he is. It seems like I'm on the right track with my swooping generalization. You really are, dude. <laughs> That's why you can't trust Christians. Oh, dear. Um, so what happens when they get there? Yeah, Sony takes one step in, collapses, and Amaryllis, because she's super helpful, has been following them around town, like on the walk back, in full plate armor. And she's like, Bethel, can you help me get this stuff off? And Bethel, you know, uses the, what do you call it, sable power to remove all the armor and steals Amaryllis's pants. Mm-hmm. Then um, in my note, I just put, see, I, th- I try to, I think, get you to read these, but I wanted, I wanted you to say, so June rummages around Sony's soul like a blind homeless person scrounging for a nickel. Um, and her spirit, It's an apt description. Yeah, I mean, he's being a little more careful than that, but I'd just like to imagine him just like in there, kind of just like clawing through in a hasty fashion. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, her spirit, her soul's fine, but her spirit is all twisted up with a bunch of orange threads, and it's obviously bad news, and June can't fix it. So that sucks. That does suck. Amarillo says, I think, because they're trying to decide, like, what do we do about it? And he's like, well, I can't fix it. Like, what if we just, like, make it not our problem? And Amarillo is like, it seems from a narrative perspective that it's unlikely that our role here is to call in the cavalry and then leave. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> June says, well, I agree. The dungeon master probably has some bullshit planned. I'm not going to throw up my hands and just say that it's probably pointless to do the smart thing. And <laughs> his life is hard. You know, doing the sensible thing would be unsatisfying. So he's got to do the stupid thing every time and be a badass action hero. Weren't you the one trying to, uh, trying to convince him to do the, what was the line? That's what heroes do. Do the stupid bullshit thing. Like when occasion calls for it. Sure. Okay. But don't get me wrong. Every time he has to go in and do it, it's going to be great and awesome and, and the kind of thing he should do. But it, wouldn't it be nice if it's just like, oh, there's a crime in progress. I'm busy. I can call the cops and they'll take care of it. Right? Mm-hmm. But we can do that, but June can't. I, you know, it, all, it kind of feels a lot like a call out to all those movies that could have been solved by like just someone picking up a phone and calling the cops, you know, rather than trying to do everything on their own. Yeah. I mean, like, but you think Uther ever just called the cops and went about his way? Like, hell no. No. But, but you need a reason why you can't do that. And lots of times there isn't any such good reason. And June's like, well, my reason is that's not going to work. The DM's going to fuck with me if I try to do that. Yeah, it's just like, I would like to be able to do the smart thing. But no, I have to look at this and say, okay, I just have to assume the smart thing won't work. So what's the stupid option that I have? God. S- sucks. Really sucks. <laughs> Oh, well. so they they have they're talking about um, what they did to Sunny here with knocking her out. And uh, June says, like, you know, it's kind of a violation to do this to her. And Bethel, like, talks into his mind. He's like, are you pressing my buttons? He's like, no, I just, you know, I, I, I am expressing some reservations. If you see some parallels to what was done to you, maybe that's something you should think more deeply about. And she says, watch your tongue. Hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? And, like, I went back and reread the prior thing because Bethel seemed just really hostile here. I guess my best guess here is that Bethel feels shitty about all of this because she thinks they're, like, discussing Sunny and using Sony like she's a tool rather than treating her like a person, which is 
the same thing that happened to Bethel. Everyone treated her like a weapon or a tool or something to be used instead of a person with needs and desires of her own. And so now that she's helping do this to someone else, she's like feeling really shitty about it and projecting that onto the first person she can, which in this case was June. But I don't know. That's that's just my guess. Do you have anything? No, I mean, I it bamboozled me too. And so I, I think I came to basically the same conclusion. Um, you know, it could be like... I think that the word violation was used when Bethel was giving her backstory, right? Okay. Like she, like Uther, like violated her, her, her expressed will by shoving more entads in her. I think so. Yeah. So maybe that's a bit of a berserk button for her. Um, Mm. But like, he's also saying, look, right now you are helping and violating this, this girl here. Right. Mm -hmm. And it could be that Bethel right now for the first time, is realizing that she herself might occasionally make some people feel violated. Um, mm. And she's like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like it's probably the more like nuanced and, and sincere uh, approach like you gave. But as a joking answer, it could be, you know, well, you think I violated somebody? Fuck you. I'm, I would never. <laughs> yeah, it's, she probably does have that blind spot where she thinks she can never do this thing because it was done to her and so she's always innocent of it and maybe now she's starting to realize that's not the case i mean like there there's people in real life just like this who are like well this horrible thing was done to me so how dare anyone imply that i'm doing it now i could i i could never like i mean i know you said it as a joke i guess but like i've seen that happen in real life with real people yeah it's it's cognitively possible for somebody to be that oblivious you know, it's funny because Bethel's like the opposite of oblivious, right? She She's aware of everything, basically everything well, all the time. And except for herself. Except for herself. That's part of the fun. Um, mm-hmm. So we they, they end up just like walking Sony out and calling a cab. I think that she tries to push for meditating one more time. Um, yeah. But uh, then we get another POV, and this one's from Bethel, which is the first one. And it's awesome. Yeah, uh, it is. But... We mentioned, you know, making people feel violated and stuff. And it just opens with Bethel watched mm-hmm. and it's its own paragraph. And she's thinking that the, the bottle remained opaque to her, um, that, and it's, it's not even like the impressive words that Thorgox helped put together. So that's how Solace knew him. Um, yeah. but no, it's just the locust doing fuckery. And so of course it's the locust just, you know, screwing with her. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's annoyed that she can't see inside there because she wants to see everything because it's everything's her business. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to pull this out because just throughout this whole section with Bethel, we get a good insight into her mind. You know, nothing we probably couldn't have guessed so far, but it's just really fun because it made me think, um, especially in the next chapter when they're talking about like the kinds of options they have for keeping June safe during the week long meditation. Mm-hmm. Like, if remember when we first got to this house and I was like, wait, the house is a fucking companion. Now we've got the deer and now this house, like what's next. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I said on the air that I was really confident that it would be cool, even though I had no idea how it would work. Yeah. Well now here we are. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if he had a, a sentient house or not a sentient house, but a, a robot house that could obey complex orders, like, Hey, uh, burrow underground surround the entire meditation chamber and be on standby if i need help and it's just like you got it boss like this would be so i don't know point it wouldn't be fun Hmm. right it would just be this like bizarrely overpowered tool that he has 
And it wouldn't be, this would just be like the solution to all of his problems, but he has to negotiate with this like abrasive sentient creature to do it. Yeah. And and it really adds like, so it lets her be ridiculously powerful, but because she refuses to do most of the stuff that she could do if she was just like a mindless robot, mm-hmm. it, it actually makes this complex and interesting, right? Yeah, totally. So I don't have a articulate way to put that other than an, that was, uh, no, that was a super cool insight, and I agree. It's It makes what would have just been a very powerful but bland tool into a really cool part of the story. Yeah, I think, man, was it this book or was it, man, I don't remember when I had this conversation. It might have been Methods of Rationality with like the limits on the time turner or something. But, you know, if you give someone something like super powerful, mm-hmm. you, you've got to put a limit on it. Otherwise, it's boring. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. You know, the, uh, those, those green balls of death that Raven has, she gets yeah. three and they recharge after a week. Yeah. You know, she just had, she just had them, you know, she's got a pocket full and you know, it's like thousands. That wouldn't mm-hmm. be, uh, that would, that would completely ruin all the fun. She could just throw death balls whenever she wants. Right. Yeah. And they don't like, they, they go, once she commits them, they just travel in a straight line directly away from her. That's not like she can have them home in on people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they've got their own limitations. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, Bethel can be insanely overpowered, but the limitation is is that you're going to have a hard time arguing with her to do anything that, you know, to do whatever you want, right? Yeah. And that's a really, really cool way to negotiate that that line between having something super strong and having it be uh, plot-ruiningly boring. Yeah, yeah, totally. So high five. That's That's great writing. It is. Okay, so we continue on in her POV here. She talks about times where um, Amaryllis felt fear, and even though she was good at hiding the outward signs, but she had, like, seen Juniper hiding the outward signs and not getting smacked down for it. And so Amaryllis is becoming more and more flippant and more casual in her disregard, according to Bethel. And Bethel is just really upset about this. She does not like it that someone is becoming less afraid of her. I mean, it's a really cool portrayal of her. I can kind of see her indignation, but also, like, it's just super fucked up. She's a damaged entity here. Yeah. Voldemort House demands demurred fearful compliance at all times. Yes. It's not enough that you do what she wants. It's that you have to look and act scared when you do it. Yep. And to, like, to reinforce to Amaryllis. She, this is the chapter where she's like, all right, I'm going to reinforce to Amaryllis. She needs to be worried and scared about me. So she, like, shows up in her room against her wishes, won't leave, and when she does so, she cho- she chooses a height similar to Amaryllis with a similar build, the same clothes Amaryllis is wearing, uh, but she still looks like Bethel, like in, in the facial features and the skin color and all that. She says it was just enough to remind Amaryllis that she was perfectly capable of making a duplicate. I was like, this, this bitch right here, she just needs her to be afraid, to be like, I could do whatever I want and no one would know the difference. And I think someone would know the difference, but not immediately. Not immediately. Do you remember when, when Amaryllis busted in the doors when he was talking with Raven? I do now that you mention it, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was Amaryllis until she was like, hold on, let's circle back to Uther. And I'm like, okay, something's up. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't I didn't guess that it was uh, Bethel until she got her fingers cut off or something right before that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's really fun being in Bethel's head. Like, it's it would have been nice if from the inside she was like more sympathetic, mm. you know, rather than like actually much less. Um, 
I think that we've been giving her a lot of charity. And from the inside, she is about as evil as we might, you know, it, this is, it's basically straight up Voldemort stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, it not, not a hundred percent this whole time, but it's, it's very close. Um, you know, if she was like a, you know, misunderstood genius and there was like lots of angst or something, I think that would be like, you know, if that was like the kind of cliched thing, yeah. I think that could be kind of clunky. I, th- I feel like it could have been delivered well. I have no idea how, but that's why I'm not writing this, right? Um, I kind of like how she's being done. I like the fact that I still feel some level of empathy to her and sympathy with her just because she's the POV character. Yeah, she, and, I, and, she's, and she's not over the top. Yeah. you know. I, well, I mean, she is, but her top is pretty tall. Um, <laughs> you know, okay. like... Uh, Worm was really good about this. Um, It would do interlude chapters uh, between each arc. And, you know, some of them are from the views of like, basically like literally the Joker um, Mm. or, uh, you know, a white supremacist, you know, kind of person. Um, Mm. And, you know, yes, there's like kind of like, like you said, the the point of view bias. But you can also be like, oh, okay, this person's a complete fucking monster. And I see this more now than ever. It was great, right? Um, mm-hmm. so it's still fun getting the insight. Oh, bone saw is a good example of that. I remember those. Um, so no, but with this, like, like, I don't think she's that level of monster. I think she's evil because she's damaged. And this is letting us see, letting us see her damage and the way she experiences it. Cause she doesn't think she's fucked up, even though we know she is. That's a great way to put it. This lets us see her damage the way that she experiences it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause from the outside, we can kind of be. You know, we can take guesses and, and rationalize some stuff or whatever, um, mm. but we're seeing it from the inside. And there is a lot kind of like, you know, it. there's nothing along the lines of like, you know, Bethel really didn't want to, but she felt like it was important to keep her dominance lest she be taken advantage of. There's nothing like that. It's all just the straight up like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I need to boss them around these stupid little humans, right? Uh, yeah. There's no show of actual fear that might still be in there. And she's not acknowledging it, but no, I, I really like how it's done. Yeah, and it's I, the implication and, of it. Like, yeah. why does she feel constantly that she has to always be feared and in control? You know, I don't get the feeling that Voldemort did it because he was afraid. I feel like he did it because he liked being in charge. Yeah, that's why I think she's different from Voldemort. Yeah, I was kind of just holding holding up the comparison. That's a good way to, to think about it. Because she doesn't make a lot of orders. She doesn't tell people to do that often. Not as much as she could. They all have to do whatever she says or she'll cut their heads off, right? right like at least while they're inside her yeah there's no way they could get out fast enough if she wanted to kill them all so Mm -hmm. like she could get them to do whatever she wants but she doesn't so she's not uh she's not full-on voldemorting through this it's just uh it's interesting she's a really good character yeah i agree she asks bethel like why she took the why she took her pants she says well it's not fen style humor did you do it because of juniper bethel says oh i like seeing his reactions you know and she says, oh, I get it. You're smitten, aren't you? And uh, Bethel is indignant. But then uh, Amarillo says, well, what'd you do? And she's like, oh, nothing. I asked him whether or not he would like me to satiate his desires. Mm-hmm. And Amarillo says, as me? And, she, and Bethel, how utterly narcissistic of you. I went as myself. And I've said, and, and as I've said, he declined to me very sweetly. Um, I, I wanted to pull that out and I very clunkily delivered it. But um when Amarillo says, oh, you you went to go, you know, ask if you could jerk him off, you know, looking like me. And Bethel's like, no, of course not. I did it like me. You know, not, how how narcissistic of you. Mm-hmm. But but she did not so subtly imply that she could wear Amarillo's shape while she did it. Uh, 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, she said, I can be in any form you want. Although, you know, maybe that would have meant something other than Amaryllis. Totally. But, you know, it could have, you know, so she didn't say like Amaryllis and like change shape or whatever. Right. But she totally could have. Um, Right. But, you know, maybe June wants to fuck a deer. Maybe she could have, you know, been like, hey, I know you can't actually fuck the six-eyed doe, but what if you could fuck me and I look just like her? Yeah, but... And then she'd be like, oh, man, that's what I've always wanted. I bet Bethel can measure, like, physiological arousal and knows that Beth or Amaryllis is, like, the hottest person in the world to June. Mm, That's a good point, yeah. But in any case, I'm going to give Amaryllis half a point for guessing half right there. Totally. (laughs) Uh, When they were talking about uh, her taking her pants away... Uh, Amaryllis was not at all happy about that. And Bethel did make the defense like, hey, it was just a joke, kind of like a fan joke. And uh, Amaryllis says, no, it wasn't. Uh, you were taking a choice away from me, humiliating me, because hurting me like that brought you enjoyment. And I thought that was a heck of an insight from Amy, because it, it kind of bothered me a bit when Bethel took away her pants in that scene. But I couldn't really put my finger on why, because I was also like, well, I guess... It is sort of a, a joke like Fenn would make, and we all love Fenn, so I guess I guess it's okay. Like, it, it, I couldn't figure out what was bothering me about it, but I think this is exactly it. It's not just that it was rude. And, like, Amaryllis, not only did she knew, know, ex- know why it bothered her, she, like, also knew why uh, Bethel was doing it. And, like, that's why it bothered her, because of her motivations, right? If it was Fenn doing it, like, as a gag, it wouldn't have bothered her nearly as much. And I like that Amaryllis has this intense, like, knowing humans and having insights into into how they tick kind of thing. And I think maybe with many years of training, Lissy could also learn to understand baseline humans. Maybe it's a thing the Pendrags just have to be taught. Maybe. Or maybe Amaryllis is just a good, empathetic person who gets people. Mm, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> but no, I, I really oh, liked no. how Amaryllis... Point like shined a perfect light on that because yeah you know fen would give her a ridiculous shirt to wear right mm-hmm. but she would still let her protect her modesty not that emerilis is concerned with her modesty but she knows that june cares about it right yeah and so she yeah. wouldn't you know like this is the kind of thing i could imagine her doing you know when they like had in a hotel room together june showering and you know emerilis like fen give me some clothes and she's like you know here and you know throws some like booty shorts at her she's like no some real clothes like they could have that joke together Mm-hmm. But to do it in front of somebody that like they both know likes looking at Amaryllis's butt, like that's just uncomfortable. It takes the it takes the power to do that away from Amaryllis, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I like that uh she perfectly articulated that. And then what is Bethel's reply? She sits back and she thinks she could kill Amaryllis so easily. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> <Right>. damn it. <laughs> yeah. She she's got a she got a long way to go um to I do think- be a good person. I do think, I don't know, may, you you seem to think Amaryllis is empathetic or just an empathic person, and maybe she is, and I just have a really hard time relating to her because she's a noble or something. Like, like Pendra- <laughs> so Amaryllis, just a little bit after sa- this, says, it's so hard to t- trust a Pendrag, especially you, manipulative little girl. And, like, I often think also that way about Amaryllis, and maybe it's just... I don't know. I don't think it's just because she's a noble because Lissy's a noble too, but I kind of like Lissy because at least she's like straight up about it. I think there's something about Amaryllis that's just feels cold and detached for me. And it always throws me off. And maybe I'm just, maybe I just have a thing about her and I should get over that or something. Yeah. You're just racist against nobles. 
I mean, that's not wrong. <laughs> it's and, also not a bad thing to be. And, and Bethel's just racist against Pendrags in particular. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, it. it's interesting, you know, like Amaryllis, when she had her own timeline for a century, she set about to try and save the world as best she could. Yeah. Like, it's not clear what Lizzie did during that century, but I doubt that she saved as many lives as she could, you know? Well, she was probably a very good assassin for some someone in the in the Anglican or she government. just swung by the orphanage once a week to expand her skin luggage collection, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, she, you know, the, the point is, it's like Amaryllis in her, in her, did you make that joke about Fen when we first met Fen? Somebo- yes, you did. Somebody skinning somebody in this story. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that her actions when alone and, you know, her thoughts as she recorded them, don't speak to the kind of person who they don't speak. They don't speak to a bad person. They speak to a great person. Yeah, they do. And so I, I guess I don't know what Amaryllis could possibly do to, to like, there's nothing that she can do to, to, I mean, yet easily to, to demonstrate to Bethel, like, Hey, I'm actually cool. Cause mm-hmm. Bethel has this like compulsion to obey Pendrags that she has to actively push back against. And so I get why she doesn't like Amaryllis in particular. Like, I wish it wasn't the case, but you know, she's been fucked over by Pendrags for so long. And like, whenever Amarillo says, can you hand me a glass of water? Like Bethel really, really wants to, you know? Yeah. So the only way to like, make sure she's not becoming a subservient, whatever is to just say, fuck you basically every time she can. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, well, I, I guess what I brought, bring this up because I don't know what she could do to you or like what she could do in the story to make you like her, like as a person or like trust her as a person. <sighs> I mean, so there's at least one person I know like this in real life, and I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think bad about this person. I think she's a great person, and she's doing the best she can. We just, like, come from different classes, and I inherently do not trust the noble classes, and maybe that's due to my, you know, long bloodlines as peasants in in Poland, but, like, I just, you know, if you, if you smell too strongly of blue blood... I'm just not gonna not gonna quite ever be able to fully connect with you, and that doesn't mean you're a bad person or anything. It just means I'm never gonna fully trust you because of prejudices, <laughs> racism. I don't know classism. I, there's, it's. I mean, Lissy's got the same lineage. Yeah, but Lissy isn't. <laughs> Lissy is um. Fifteen seats away from the throne, rather than ten. L- Lissy's never really had a taste of power. She. She doesn't act like someone who uh who is in among the higher classes. She acts like a she acts like a fucking nerd who thinks that she's better than people, but is still of the working class, you know? I... She still has to work for a living. If she didn't become a an assassin mage, she would probably starve somewhere or at least have a shitty life. Mm, I think we have different raids on her. Yeah, I think she's going to school true. to study assassin magic because she wants to kill people. And she's not paying, she's not working to pay her own tuition, you know, like she, she's there at the behest of the crown, uh, cause she can do whatever she wants and she wants to kill people and you know, no one's ever told her no in her life. So like, yeah, go for it. We'll pay your bills. But at least she's doing something productive. Yeah. You know, uh, learning how to kill orphans, you know, super productive. <laughs> Only the orphans that the government doesn't like <laughs> where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you need those orphanages to make, you know, power plants on or whatever. <laughs> All right. Um, I think 
So Bethel asks, I don't even know where I'm going with any of this. I'm sorry. No, we, we got, we got way into it. It's great. Um, I think it's just a vibe thing. No, it is. And it's fun. I, I do enjoy it. I look forward to seeing more of Lissy. She wasn't in these chapters. Really. Oh no, she was in the next one. And it's, there was no real evidence one, one way or another, uh, but we'll talk about her when she, we get to the next chapter. But I think Bethel asks, you know, do, you know, have you ever found it fun to hurt people? And Amaryllis talks about when she had that mental affliction and she attacked mm-hmm. Juniper with consent and she just like really wanted to hit him. And mm-hmm. she says, if that's how you feel towards me, towards any of us, then I don't know what there is to do. You know, if it was, if it were something else, I could reason with you. I could try to be your friend. I could show you love and affection, see your good points like he does. But if you just want to hurt me in the ways that you've been doing it, the jump scares, the invasions, then I don't know how we're ever going to reconcile any of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just really well put. And then I wanted to see if Bethel doubled down or if she tries to be a better person. And Bethel just says, perhaps we won't. Perhaps this will be how things are until the end of your life, however near or far that might be. Yeah. And I well. just put, boo, thumbs down. And mm-hmm. Amarillo says, she- I, would li- I would like to be left alone. And Bethel says, well, I want to stay. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Bethel can't just back down because someone asks. That would be a sign of weakness. Yeah, she can't just get out of someone's room. Yeah. Bethel's going to be like, no, it's my room. It's my house. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, rude. Ugh. Yeah. More she, than rude. Just like, I couldn't I couldn't live with someone like that. She does apologize. She does, but you pulled this out, and Amarilla says it too. It's not enough to mean it. Yeah. She, she like, talks about she, how, you know, Juniper, when he apologizes, he like actually wants to do better he doesn't just like feel sorry it, yeah yeah you and, have to it's feeling sorry is like a start but then you have to change things so you don't keep doing the thing yeah i think that's how like abusive relationships are and one of the reasons people stay with abusive partners is because they really do feel very sorry afterwards and they're like oh no that was awful but like just feeling sorry isn't enough you have to stop fucking doing it and they're not gonna stop yeah no exactly but they're like, oh, but he felt so bad afterwards. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he did. And he's going to feel bad again next time and bad again the time after that. And he felt bad the 10 times before that. Like, mm. I'm seeing a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope, you know, Bethel, she's been taking baby steps towards humaning better, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, I think she's going to keep moving that way. Yeah. Or she'll, bring the, she'll be the group's downfall. Well, she, I mean, maybe they'll have to have the the big versus Bethel fight at some day. That said, I think I, ha- you know, I think I talked about ages ago about how they could try and kill her with like a bunch of void bombs or something. I haven't mm-hmm. thought about that in a while because I, I don't think that a, I don't want that to happen, and b, I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, like I think they I mean, can I think work it out. I, I think we're on a some sort of redemption arc for Bethel because, like, if she's that aspect of June that was hateful and angry, then. He needs to know that he can be redeemed of that too, right? So that's a good point. Yeah. Anyway, like, that sounds um, like narrative talk, though. It does sound like narrative talk, which uh, is something that is getting Amaryllis down because she she's she's kind of resigned to not none of this really mattering anyway. Uh, she says of her conversation with Bethel, narratively, this is all pointless. I can't change your mind. I can't help you to change and grow. This is all to stage left while Juniper talks to the Locust or plays ranks with Grack. Or maybe this is the intermission with the curtains drawn while Juniper sleeps. And I really love this line because it was meta as fuck and, interestingly, wrong. Like, the narrative is directly on Amaryllis right now and everybody else is offstage. And I don't, 
I don't know exactly what to make of that, that like that the narrative thinking steered her so wrong right here and backfired because it's the narrative is all on her right now. And the fact that she thinks it doesn't matter. I don't know. It's weird because it means like most of the time when she's alone, she doesn't matter, but she can never know for sure when she might not be. And, um, and she thinks that there isn't any time like that. It it puts an interesting wrinkle in the whole story. Well, I mean, I don't know if the camera being on you is the same thing as the narrative being on you. Like the story isn't advancing here. The story, I mean, the story is advancing somewhat. The story is character progression and, this this is part of it i uh maybe i mean this doesn't get june any closer to completing any of his quests you know no but if this text uh, if this text is in the book then it is part of the narrative it is literally the narrative it's literally part of the story like like she said this could be the intermission and it's like yeah the thing we put on you know while everyone goes to the bathroom you know in the middle of our four-hour play it's technically on you know well what she means is that like this is one of those times between chapters where and then two days later we are come back like that's what she thinks this this might be well what's fun is that bethel says you don't really see the world that way and amarillo says no does she mean it though no she says no i don't but when i run straight into medical metaphorical walls or come against come up against intractable problems like this a part of me just thinks oh well he's the protagonist maybe the dungeon master set this up for him maybe nothing that i do will actually matter unless it's done where it furthers his plot um so so she does think that sometimes like i think she's she tries not to think that way but given that she knows that that's like kind of the nature of her her reality she Mm -hmm. tries she tries to avoid thinking about it but she can't yeah you know like when she was going to invent television and the internet and whatever and Mm -hmm. oh would you look at that some secret excluded magic actually uh you know prevents that from happening yeah. And it's like, well, come on. What the hell? I was just doing a thing. Yeah. Not anymore, you're not. Like <laughs> I I really like that line she said that that you quoted maybe nothing that I do will actually matter unless it's done where it furthers the plot. And I don't know. I feel that way a lot and I wish I knew what the plot of real life was and eh, maybe maybe we'll never find out. Maybe there isn't one. Hmm. I wonder what it would mean for life to have a plot. Like are we furthering the plot at all? I don't know. You are if you're writing your own story, man. How many people? I, I know that sounds that? like an empty platitude, but if we're going to speak of plots in real life, that's the best I can think of. Yeah. I think that we talked about this a bit, but you know, the question of like, well, why did this happen? And it's like, well, you know, because of physics. And it's like, no, why though? Like there, there's no real good answer to that kind of why. But maybe it'd be nice if there was. I guess if we're trying to create our own plot, I don't know where I'm going with that. Like, how do we? do that what is the plot that we should be creating we'll have to put that on the back burner this because this isn't the time to philosophize this is the time to talk indeed chapter 152 time to talk uh where we find out that malice gets the heck out of dodge and by dodge i mean the jail i love it and it was great yeah and immediately going into narrative talk amaryllis is like all right how does this fit in with everything else She's a loose thread until she shows up again. But then what's the resolution? Like now she's thinking immediately, okay, how's this going to come back? Weave into the storyline. What, what do we got to watch out for? And I thought maybe this is just the DM's way of saying, hey, remember that time I said it's not all about you? Remember, this is a really big world and actually lots of stuff just happens as, you know, 
background flavor or background action or whatever. It's there's a lot of fluff in the world to make it feel real, and it doesn't all revolve around you. Uh, and it, it it really reminded me of that thing with the rising bile and Baron Jewel, where they just randomly got caught in this this um, I don't know massacre in the in the bathing pools for no one still knows why, and maybe it was just not not related at all. It, it's something to remind you that the world is big and alive and continues without you and give a whole sense of scale and epicness to, to everything. Yeah. I mean, I, hey, I totally forgot about the risen bile. And now that you mention it, like, fuck it, maybe Uther was with them or something. Right. But, um, <laughs> the, like, so Amaryllis is like, but we had nothing to do with it. And I, I get where she's coming from. If I was part of the main character's party, this would be baffling. You know, some issue shows up and then resolves itself without our help. Impossible. Right, you know, it doesn't happen. The the thing is with the risen bile thing is that 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 was a thing that was happening in the background of the place he was in. You know, mm-hmm. this is his ethics professor getting arrested on his second day of class. Mm-hmm. Like it could have been any other teacher. It could have been any other week of the year. Right. Sometimes shit just happens. Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm with you. This sounds like a thing that's going to come back in in like ten chapters down the road. In some way, this is a thing that either like a plot line that the DM was like, that would have been fun if he had actually insisted on kicking her out of prison, but like she didn't want to get out of prison, right? Yeah. If they'd scheduled the jailbreak, then that'd have been sometimes, one thing. Sometimes you break people out of prison whether they want it or not. Yeah. I think it'd be really hard to break someone out of prison who didn't want to be out of prison. <laughs> you got to knock them out first. Yeah. That's true. Wouldn't be that hard, actually, now that you mention it. They've got the uh, glove. Uh, June's theory was that uh maybe harold is just like the big one the main thing going on here and the other ones things like malice are side quests and i was like oh yeah i I didn't think of that but that could be it too and whenever i'm playing open world games like i skip side quests with extreme prejudice i do not have time for that shit i don't need to find your pan just get me to the (laughs) end of the world the frying pan i think is like one of the best examples of like a pointless side quest and i know that it was included as like a joke about dumb side quests, but it's it because it's so spot on. So this was the Witcher two or three, three, three. Yeah. One of the, and I never played these games. I tried it for like two hours and I was like, this is hard. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't like, because it was too, like the, the gameplay was too punishing. It was that it was too convoluted to play, but I'm also just stupid. So uh, I mean, a lot of the gameplay was like mixing up potions and then rock, paper, scissoring them with the enemies that you find. And I just didn't find that very engaging. Yeah, I tried it for at least a couple of hours. But uh, anyway, so yeah, one of your first quests, like in the early in the game is some old lady, her pan got stolen. So you retrieve her frying pan. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not magic. No, it's not an heirloom. It's just her frying pan. <laughs> How's she going to fry food without a frying pan? I mean, she could buy another one. <laughs> Like she couldn't, she was a poor old lady on a fixed income, but you can't, you, there's no option to like buy your way out of the quest by just like giving her two gold coins. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if she would spend those gold coins on granny drugs, she, that's why you had to get her pan, but you can't go she buy another, be trusted with money. You can't go buy another pan. You have to give her hers. Well, yeah, I, I bring this. I, 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 it's all funny because like the, the quest is pointless and side quests can be ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, Skyrim had what they called like radiant quests where it would keep generating stuff for you to do. Um, oh my God. Which is fine if you want to keep walking around. The problem is it's, just, it's like five things. You mm-hmm. know, oh, can you run here and kill this thing? Oh, can you run here and fetch this for me? Um, uh, okay. So it the the radiant quests, such as they were 
got real old real fast, but there are tons of side quests and some of them are amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we mentioned earlier about getting stripped of your equipment. Um, you know, that happens a few times. Uh, there's, there's a whole quest that's like the hangover. Oh, neat. You you get, you get wasted at a bar and wake up in some temple and you've trashed the place and you're trying to find your drinking buddy. You found out that you got legally married to a goat. Like it's, it's insane. It's great. Um, so side quests can be like that. I don't know. The, but as far as this, is Harold the big quest and the other ones are side quests? Like, is Lurd, is Lurd still in Vibration Magic a side quest, like, below Harold? I don't know. What's funny is that this is June talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not how he thinks about his life. Yeah. It's, again, like, he, he can't help but think about it. Yeah. But, like, that's... That's not the sane way to structure your life. It's like, no, I'm going to come and do here. I'm going to do what I meant to do here. I'm going to try unless something stops me. And I'll look at this Herald thing later if I need to. I really don't know how to feel about side quests. Because you're right. Sometimes they have the coolest, best like story moments in games. But they just, they either they make you too powerful. So like the rest of the game starts getting too easy. Or the whole game scales. So it doesn't feel like there was any point in doing them anyway. And they... They never tie into the main quest, really. Like, they could have been their own separate game. And they're cool enough, but I don't... At the end, I'm like, I feel like, what was... That That just detracted from the main story. When I talk with friends about this game, it's probably almost always going to be about the main story and not the side quests. Until Unless they were, like, really some epic side quests that everyone knows you have to do. Like, it's just... It's time in my life that... I could have been playing other main stories and main quest lines. I don't know. I just have a hard time with side quests. They feel pointless to me. And maybe that's the problem with too much of life. So a lot of life feels like a side quest too. <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, a lot of the, you know, the coolest sub stories are side quests in real life and in video games. And I don't want my life to be a side quest. No, but your your life can have side quests in it, you know? Yeah, like I don't, I don't think like real estate is the is the main objective of your of your storyline, right? But it's a side quest. You've got to manage this thing on the side, you know. That's true. Uh, I was going to talk more about Skyrim and stuff, but I think I can save it short. Um, I let's see. They're trying to think of like, okay, well, things are weird. Do we still want to go meditate, or do, do we still want me to go meditate for a week? Be basically unguarded and. Uh, there was a great bit where there's, there's actually three great things. I'll try and go real fast. Um, Amaryllis is like, no, they could still attack. Um, and Raven says, oh, he'd kill him. I say that on the basis of having seen him in a fight. I thought she was going to say that on the basis of having seen Uther go off and do stuff and not get killed. Right. Mm -hmm. But no, she's saying, no, he's, he's really strong. And I'm like, well, that's actually high praise because she's seen some shit. Yeah. Um, so high five. And Mm -hmm. finally, he has the idea that I had. He's going to put unicorn bones beneath his skin. Fuck yeah. Just have him on hand all the time. This is fucking awesome. I I think, I don't know if he could do this like all the time. It feels like your body would reject him after a certain period of time. But like, if you know that you're going to be going into a really dangerous place, you probably want to do that. I I assume he's got some level of control over his uh, immune system, given his soul, spirit, and blood magic and skin magic. You know, he might. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless there's immune system magic. I think he's got basically everything else covered. (laughs) (laughs) But then that's not enough. I think I mentioned last chapter, the other part of the plan is, okay, Bethel, why don't you, uh, you, you know, swim through the rocks and 
either sit next to the meditation chamber or just surround the whole thing as a giant structure. And I can contact you with soul magic if I need you. Mm -hmm. And she agrees, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I pulled this out for is because Amaryllis frowns, but says nothing. And I don't know if it's because she doesn't like the idea of trusting Bethel so much or, or something else. But I think part of it is that it sounds like a good plan. But yeah. good plans aren't fun from a narrative perspective. <laughs> like, right? Quote, Something's going to fuck it up. Yeah. We were all prepared and everything worked out isn't very exciting. Nope. So she's thinking, okay, shit, how can this go bad? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's got to be thinking thoughts like that. It's a good thing she said nothing because otherwise she, they'd have to come up with something on top of that. Yeah. I, I, I like Amaryllis in some respects. Yay. If only she wasn't a noble man. Just pretend like you don't know who her parents are and just judge her as the person she is, dude. I can't. The the <laughs> the upper it's not that I don't know who it's not who her parents are. It's her upper class like attitude and bearing and like it just it comes out. You can't hide it, you know? If she was defenseless I mean, she, like Princess Peach, that'd be one thing. You know, the fact that she's you know, she gets thrown into zombie land and the first thing she does is start kicking ass and building void weapons, like, okay, she's hardcore. Yeah, it's badass. Yeah, so she's a badass, you know. Yeah, I'll give her that. She's just a badass whose ancestors oppressed my ancestors, and I, we will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so now that I'm trying to get over my racism, no, you're good. So they they invite Lissy over for uh, some blood magic practice. Yes, and um, she she hits June, and he gets a level up from it. Not a level up, but a power up. He's like, cool, now I am resistant to being hit like that because you told me I could use blood magic to, to resist it. Rock on. Yeah, I forget what it's called. Um, blood hardening. That's right. Uh, so it's like, I don't know. Yeah, you, you counterforce a strike that's about to hit you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's awesome. So she you know does the full blood field magic swing. Because she won't just hit him. She has to hit him as hard as she physically can. Um, which I, I feel like just, I feel like a stick swing would have been hard enough yeah. for the test. But she wants to hurt him because she's a psychopath. I guess, how many chances in life are you going to get to try to down Uther? Why would you, you want get to? one good shot. You, the rest of your life, you can be like, you know, back before he became God Emperor of the World, I fucking brought Uther to one knee. Yeah, if she was really thorough on her history, though, she would know that everyone who got everyone who got better of Uther <laughs> and ended up with their life in ruins, right? Right. Well, yeah, this might yeah. not count. Though. Yeah, but it would be a cool story. It would, you know. Yeah, you're right. If I knew that I had the chance to, I don't know, beat the next Muhammad Ali in a fist fight, you know, I'd be I like, I do think it was pretty fucking stupid of her. Yeah, but it's it's her style. And exactly. she's like, I'm going to have to hit you again just to make sure you have it. And he just says, <laughs> no, no, I have it. And she didn't put the stick down. So he's like, all right, look, you can try and hit me, but you're not going to land the hit because I'm bigger, stronger and faster and more skilled than you are. I know you like yeah. violence, but this isn't the time. And mm-hmm. he's uh, I think you mentioned back in the library and stuff, how he's getting to be like more and more badass. Mm-hmm. And like I was anchored at my level of badass of like Uther or we just get a casual throwaway line where he grabbed some you know, God hammer and smashed a demon through dimensions or something. Mm-hmm. And like, he's not at that level, but he sure is a badass. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. He just reminded me of like a parent talking to a child at this point being like, I know you want to hit me. You're not gonna let's keep going. Yeah. This, this ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. 
So uh, I think that, oh, he's tr- she's trying to teach him blood spear. I think it's called claret spear. I'm sure that means something. But um, the one, one of them is like, oh, you know, you're going to be operating on, you know, less blood than usual. But there are techniques to magically increase the blood volume in, the, in your body. And so this is, I pulled this out because June's apparently not just bullshit game mechanic of double blood is learnable by other people. Yeah. And I think this is true of a lot of his perks. He, yeah, the, the blade bound stuff is all stuff that I guess real blade bound things people can do. Yeah. You know, we watched uh, Quills deflect bullets. Yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, does it really work with, you know, 50% better exactly with them or is it just, you know, better? Uh, it's, well, it's hard to say and doesn't really matter what the difference would be, but they gradually get there. But the cool thing is, is that, uh, there's I get apparently... the feeling that okay, no, no, please. I get the feeling that um, people, if they get skilled enough in something, can like get the these these perks are the equivalent of these perks. It just takes an an entire lifetime and dedication, and you know, being naturally good at it all in combination. Like like if you actually could get, if you spent eighty years woodworking just everything, you could as a muggle maybe get your woodworking to one hundred, and then create anything out of wood and then get it excluded to, to your home or whatever when you tried to make god out of wood or the dm out of wood or something and like i don't know maybe that's why the one farmer dude got excluded <laughs> because he got farming up to 100 and managed to grow i don't know messiahs and uh that was just too powerful no that's 100 why he got excluded he got too good at it and yeah. too good means that yeah he unlocked some insane skills that we realized are broken and we should have not put in the game in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the, so th- there's apparently like a way to bleed without getting cut first. And my first thought yes. was like, okay, so let's imagine him grappling with somebody and he can just stab the shit out of them and then infect them with his, cause he had that other like tainted blood technique. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds super helpful. And he I eventually has the same you- thought later. Yeah, I love that you had that in your notes. And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, Steven's going to have a fun surprise. And I kept scrolling through your notes later on. You're like, oh, hey, I called it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're thinking like a Raymer. He's, he's thinking that he has to get hurt first. But I would just look up like, OK, how do I bleed without having to cut myself first or get Sweat stabbed? Blood. Well, I mean, there's some way to do it. Uh, Lissy said that yeah. it was possible. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's some way to get it out. And yeah. the description for Claret Spear mentions uh, something about... To- you know, blood cost is dependent on a roll of the blood recovery chart. Mm-hmm. And like spell descriptions and stuff weren't as explicit of things like game mechanics, like roles earlier, were they? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. They didn't like talk about charts. And uh, I mean, they did like some of his earlier ones were things like you suffer 10% less uh, pushback or something like, or or you, you have the distance you get pushed back on uh, when you're using a shield, something along those lines, like things that specifically broke physics that in a game, in a game mechanics way. Yeah. I remember that for a long time, I was able to maintain some half of an argument where like the universe not, might not operate on dice rolls. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that the DM is aware that the cat is on its way out of the bag and he's not bothering to try and hide the mechanics anymore. Yeah. Roll on the blood recovery chart. Yeah. And but I also he's like, no, you don't like, get to see what that is, but I'm telling you that it exists. <laughs> exactly. I. It seems to me like there's 
before there were some like really explicit things like when it said literally you know you get pushed back half as far um from from physical force when blocking and now it's like roll on these charts and it doesn't show him the charts and i almost feel like the dm is like okay you guys are doing a really good job of munchkinning this stuff and now you've even fucking got raymer on your side like i'm gonna hide more of this stuff behind charts that you can't see so haha because like you know it he can't see that chart. Is there even a chart? Maybe it's just like the chart is whatever the DM thinks would uh, would be appropriate in this case to not let him get too powerful. It's possible. The other interpretation is that this is the DM saying, yes, there's a chart and it's back at home and you have to go get it, June, because I really want you to face your demons. Mm, so this back. is the kind of like narrative fuckery where it's like, okay, I guess we have to go back and visit my meat suit's bodies or my meat suit's yeah. home, you know? I'm just going to keep getting more and more charts until I do. Exactly. Like the next, the next spe- the, uh, s- um, spell unlock might have something along the lines of like, you know, the diagram for this is complicated, but it's on page 32 of the manual. <laughs> Sweet. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. Does this have anything uh, to do with fluff and me- crunch? It does. It's literally mechanics. Um, yeah, Raymer, because June mentions fluff and crunch and Raymer is, uh, asks, are you going to explain fluff and crunch? And Lissy asks, is any of this relevant? And June says, no, it's just fluff. We've already dealt with the crunch. <laughs> and Raymer says, ah, I get it. <laughs> because Raymer's a fucking gaming genius. I love how smart he is regarding that game stuff. But um, yeah, I like as soon as crunch was mentioned, I knew what it meant. But it was not a term in the heyday of my gaming, uh, which was like mid-90s to early 2000s. So it must be vocabulary that took hold after I kind of exited the scene. So crunch sounds to me like the stuff you have to do, right? No. Uh, I mean, flunch, crunch, I'm assuming, is explicitly the opposite of fluff. And fluff is like story stuff. It explains what things look like in the universe and why the, they are the way they are. It's It's everything that is trying to make it look like a real thing in the world and not, you know, numbers and die rolls and charts and stuff. Um, it's also often used as like, you know, what's the backstory to the world? What's the, the story of this town here? Why is it here? All that stuff is fluff. It's things that, um, when you put miniatures on the table and they start hacking at each other, they could be interchanged to any universe, uh, any number of different characters, whatever. If, if, if what happens to those models could happen to any models, then that is fluff. Uh, crunch is the things that that's the exact opposite. It is the die roll. It is the stats. It is the percentages in the chart. And um, those can be, you know, anything could be wrapped around them. So crunch is the game mechanics. That's boring unless you're a computer uh, or you really like that kind of statistical stuff. And fluff is the story. And most good games can have a combination of the two because just mechanics with no story is boring, but just story with no mechanics isn't the game. That makes perfect sense. I appreciate it. And sure, uh, I Bramer caught onto it a lot faster than I would have. Like, yeah. I, I got the intuition that, like, obviously, fluff yeah. isn't the important stuff mm-hmm. because you know that's not what you call fluff. But either that or it's the most important stuff. Could be depending on what you're into. Yeah, I think Lizzie and Raymer leave. Yes, but June does kind of confess to Amaryllis that he thinks she is the most beautiful human that could exist, even in theory. And Amaryllis asks him, uh, if you find me so beautiful, why did you end up with Fen? 
And the answer, rather obviously, is because Fen is awesome. Like sometimes you choose awesome over just hot because awesome's pretty awesome. I mean, he he also basically said because she kept showing interest in me, which is awesome. Which I think was, <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I think that was my cynical answer. Like back when we first got together, and it's like, well, why do you think he's with her? I'm like, because she said, do you want to see my tits? And he's like, okay. She's just, well, I mean, sure, that's a great first step, but she's just a funner person to be around and. I liked her better. I think if Amaryllis is also vying for his attention at the same time that he might have picked her, it's hard to say. Uh, but the fact is, it's like, well, you weren't interested and she was. And so it's not like she I was mean, a second that's a prize. Big deal. Yeah, exactly. But it's like she was, you know, that's that's what was available. And she was great. So, yeah, I certainly don't want to force myself on someone who doesn't seem interested in me. It, yeah, it's almost like not even fair for Amaryllis to ask that. If you find me so yeah. beautiful, why gender with Fen? It's like, because you use the words endure when you talked about sex yeah. with me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, I think he apologizes for calling her beautiful. And, oh, this is just funny. She's like, oh, I know I'm in the top 10%. And he's like, less specific. And she's like, oh, it was a guess. And I'm like, she's so much more humble than Lissy and has less reason to be humble. She's probably in the top 1%, but doesn't go around looking down and informing them that she's six standard deviations above the average. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the top 1% is oddly specific. I would have a really hard time thinking that anyone was in the top 1% just because tastes vary a lot. Yeah, like, I'm not top sure. Top 10% is easier to say, but like top 1%, that could be some people like, you know, people with lots of curves. Some people like the the really boyish looking girls and like some people just like straight up dudes there's there's a lot of taste choices out there yeah it's unclear but you're right 10 percent is like yeah most people find her attractive that's that's vague enough and 10 percent kind of amounts to that yeah yeah all right so he goes on to say like you know well i should just come out and say it but my first thought on seeing you was that you were literal physical perfection I'm not even mm-hmm. kidding. And I'm trying to be poetic or, you know, just compliment <laughs> you. I think you're as beautiful to me as I think a person could possibly be. And there's nothing I can imagine that would improve you. <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. Okay, good. So that answers the question I was going to ask you. Because, yeah. like, dude, what happened to your high social points? Like, <laughs> this this is so over the top. I mean, that's something you can tell someone once you're in a relationship with them. And it doesn't sound like you're trying to suck really badly at sucking up to them well it there's that but also like the fact is he's being perfectly sincere but the yeah you're right so like the context might make it seem like he's just trying to make her feel better but honestly it made me feel terrible if i was her because it's like oh okay so the dm crafted me not just to be like you know help you in your quest but also as you know what a fuck toy yeah, I mean, we've got a special situation here with the DM, but I think even in general, you shouldn't tell that to the most gorgeous person in the world until after you've at least been, you know, on several dates and are got some kind of relationship going on. Because I don't know, like, I guess they're friends, so they don't have a sexual relationship. So it's too early to say that. Like, it just, there's too much of the what if he's just saying that because he thinks I'll be flattered enough to, to, to sleep with him. Yeah, it. I mean, in real life, that's the case. I I think that you're right. There's special circumstance of the DM. Like, I think that changes the equation. But I think, yeah, it, that has to be part of his calculation, right? Maybe that's why he said it. I but I can't think. Then maybe his social skills higher than mine because I can't think of why the hell he would say that and think that she'd feel any better about it. 
maybe he was just in a vulnerable, unguarded place and said dumb stuff. I mean, that actually strikes me as distinctly plausible. You know, he he thought he'd hurt her feelings and like said, oh, you know, you know, I liked Fen more. And no, not that there's anything wrong with you. Let me tell you how not anything wrong with you there is. You know, it it kind of came off like that, but it's just, I don't know. Holy heck. He, you're right. That'd be uncomfortable to hear on earth, but I think it'd be doubly uncomfortable to hear if you were her. Yeah. You know, if, if, uh, another random muggle told her that she'd be like, Oh, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. But if, <laughs> I don't, if a random muggle told her that she'd probably be like, Oh, you're trying to suck up to the princess. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a muggle that she trusted, you know, whatever Raymer, right. Raymer's already got a girlfriend. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but when it's June and it's like, Oh, okay. The player character thinks I'm his perfect, perfect ideal woman. Yeah. Like how am I supposed to interpret that knowing that the world is made for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's only one way to interpret that and it's terrible. Yeah. Um, anyway, th- it, is it, is it that terrible? I mean, I think that people like feeling like they're somewhat in charge of their own lives. Although she's kind of given up, given up on that already, huh? I mean, just not it. As, all we're talking about here is like her attractiveness score, right? Like, if I found out that, oh, shit, someone set my attractiveness to 100 for this certain subpopulation of people, I'd be like, that's kind of cool. I, I like being attractive. It, it's a nice feeling. I wouldn't be upset by that. But if that subpopulation of people was one person and that one person was the most important person on the planet? I mean, even better then. Yeah. You know what? That actually, I, I, when, I put, when I say it that way, it sounds like not that bad of a deal. <laughs> I think I think that it strips away her autonomy, you know, like it makes it seem like her purpose is to be pretty to this guy. I see what you're saying. But mm. it doesn't have to be seen that way. Maybe who knows how she'll take it. Yeah. She, she saw this as like cleaning clearing the air. He's like that's not what I was trying to do. You know, I and it's it ends kind of sad. He says uh, you know, I just didn't want you to think that, you know, I thought you'd be deficient if we and he's like faltering. Hmm. It says, my heart was breaking just a bit. I really did care about her. Maybe I was even in love with her, but I had had my reservations and not just because of the ghost of Fen sitting on my shoulder. And like, I just like the feeling of like, look, I'm trying to explain, but I, I can't you know, shoot, you know, like just mm. rolling a fail on a social, yeah. uh, social role. It's a shitty feeling. Yeah. And it's, like, really hard to recover from that. Like, I don't think he could recover from it right now. He just got to let some time pass and try building up again later. Yeah, I guess he's not even clear if he wants to, to try and build it up later, right? Well, I mean, if nothing else, you want to build the relationship back up to one where you guys are comfortable talking oh, yeah. to each other. Yeah, at least yeah. clear the air. She's she's saying it's good to clear the air. And he's like, no, I've just sullied the air. Like, you know, <laughs> we need to crack a window and let's come back in 20 minutes and talk about this, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, what do you think their percent chances is? Give, give me an estimate on how likely it is that they're going to get together. Uh, divine get together. I have different estimates for different interpretations of that. That is very fair. Um, yeah, okay. So, there's going to be definitely more than one way to look at this considering their situation. So, how about just the estimate first of them getting in a like committed relationship that we would recognize as basically a romantic relationship, but like without any of the sex stuff. Hmm. A little over 50%. Okay. What about um, just banging it out without having a full relationship? Mm, more than the pure 
uh, non-sexual relationship, but less than 75%. Okay, so more than 50, less than 75. Uh, what about uh, having a that whole relationship, like we said earlier, like an actual legit couple, and they actually have sex as well? Most likely so far. Oh, really? Yeah, then again, that wouldn't really fit with Amaryllis, would it? Like, the I first mean, one fits thinking, best. Yeah, I was thinking one of the first two would be more likely than, like, a traditional relationship with sex and and everything i don't know i think that part of her wants to try that so then of course option four is just like a one-night stand right uh so they technically got together um yeah but they're like okay that was a mistake let's go back to being friends right i don't know that seems that seems distinctly plausible what do you think about that one like Mm. in relation to the others i don't know i'm realizing that my estimate numbers are kind of all over the place i feel like because they can't all be over 50 percent confident right um they, they can be if you think that they're gonna be getting together in one way or another then they can all be over 50 percent. yeah yeah and just which way they get together which one do you think is more likely um i think that they will probably if they get together which i i i'm assuming i'm gonna give that over 50 percent odds and then like any subcategory is just a guess uh if they do they're at least gonna try the sex stuff at some point okay but i don't know if that'll be like a major part of it so um when you said more than 50 percent chance that they're going to get together it looks like they're probably going to get together do you say that because like of who they are or for story narrative reasons or what is what is giving you that impression they keep talking about it because yeah. they're grown-ups and they're like do we <laughs> like i mean they're, they're not exactly like sitting down i mean she actually did make a pro con chart um mm-hmm. but you know they haven't gone over their they haven't compared pro con charts to each other but do you think that most grown-ups, like if they do get to the point where they're actually talking about maybe a relationship, are more than fifty percent likely to try something? Yes. Yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah, because if you get to the point where you're talking about it, you're probably already pretty close. That's what I was gonna say. Is I feel like in real life, if two people are talking, like you know, I think maybe we should try having a relationship, and like they're both considering it, I feel like the odds are like ninety-five percent, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you know, once in a while, someone you know they they have the conversation. You know, and they both soberly consider it, and they're like, hmm. I, "I, you know, I was seriously considering it for a while, but actually, no, let's let's not." Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're both kind of on board. They're already there, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we got this week, isn't it? That is indeed. It was a slightly shorter one, but that's okay because tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Uh, the our next readings are also going to be slightly shorter, only three chapters, but it's fucking Christmas this next week, so cut us some slack, homies. You give me uh, short chapters. I finished these so early. I almost read ahead, like on, on accident. I forgot that it was three chapters. Oh damn! So like, okay, well, I, I mean, no, you, you do you. I, you know, yeah. Remember, they're slightly shorter because of Christmas, and then uh, after this, we'll go back to slightly longer again. I will be busy this weekend, so it, it'll work out. Yeah, perfect. All right. Okay, so our next three are 153 through 155, and those are 153, the temple, 154, above from below. And 155, Mumrath. I gotta look at the spelling for 155 here. Oh. Oh, wait. Was that from the Jabberwocky poem? Yeah, it is. It's in the Jabberwocky. Okay, yeah. So it was also on the... Because I remembered it from the list. Uh, what do you call it? Arthur's... You know, are you oh, from Arthur's list? Oh, that tells you? Yeah. Yeah. Arthur's balls list. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, sounds like this might be the meditation chapter, if that's what the temple is. But I, I don't have much. Okay. Well... 
I look forward to talking with you next time uh, we are on the microphone together. Me too. This will be a lot of fun. Thanks for yeah. hanging out. This was a good time. Happy Christmas, buddy. Thank you. You too. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining and listening to us. Uh, as always, you can support us on our Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. And um, you can also support Alexander Wales on his Patreon, which is linked in the same place. That's right. Big happy holidays to Alexander Wales as well. Thank you for uh, playing the, making this game so we could play it. Uh, it, it's his world. We're just playing in it. That's better. Thank you, everybody, and Merry <laughs> Christmas or whatever it is that you celebrate and have a good time. At the very least, we hope you get a paid day off. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, whether you celebrate or not. All right, bye. <laughs>